This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Well, welcome into another week of the opening kickoff. And, man, do we have some topics we need to jump into this week. It's the uh, We're here for the next three hours. Mark and Lee, hope you and yours had a great weekend. Uh, you know how this works, 694-1055. That's the number. And, of course, you can get us in the app at WNSP.com. Good morning, Mr. Shervanian. Mark, good morning, uh, Nick. Uh, good morning to you also. A uh, couple of uh, just a quick notes here. Auburn's going to begin spring practice today, the first time that they'll hit the field with Hugh Freeze and his staff. We'll talk about that later on in the show. And Alabama's bringing in a, a, another assistant coach the, to replace Austin Armstrong. That would be the assistant from Liberty Liberty's getting a lot of attention uh, these days in this state, obviously, with Hugh Freeze taking over the Auburn job. And now uh, Robert Bala is going to replace Austin Armstrong. Mark, I wanted to go over maybe very quickly some of the, the, let's say, individual feats over the weekend. Damon Lillard, 71 points yesterday for Portland. That establishes a new team record. He had 13 uh, three-pointers in their win. Kyle Busch winning in Fontana. The ninth straight, 19th straight year that he has won at least one race, and that is a record. And then there was this infielder for Northern Kentucky, which is getting a lot of play this morning. His name is Liam McFadden Ackman. And in the very first inning of Northern Kentucky's game against Western Michigan yesterday, he hit two Grand Slam home runs. They actually scored 14 runs in the first inning and won 27 to four and yeah it's a how do you how do you think a team feels down by that uh alabama with their win on saturday uh clinched at least no worse than a share of first place because they open up a two-game lead now texas a&m got beat at mississippi state alabama wins they got a two-game lead they do finish the year saturday against texas a&m so no matter what happens they can do no worse than a tie for uh, first place. Not a great weekend for some of our local teams in uh, March Madness tournaments. Mobile went out in the first round. We told you about that Friday. Spring Hill went out in the first round on Saturday, and the same with their women's uh, basketball programs. So those are just some of the highlights, lowlights, as far as individuals and team performances. What do you got? What do I have? Yeah. Uh, Well, Dame Lillard was just uh, had an unbelievable night. Uh, Brandon Miller continues, and I, and I don't use this term lightly, to shoot himself in the foot. And um, and there are people calling for Bruce Pearl's head. Oh, How no. How crazy is that? That is, that's ridiculous. I know it. T- tell me more about that. Who, who for uh, Oh, just Robbie's fans on. Media uh, people or no, just No, no, no. Uh, I think fans. I think fans in general. Uh, after the loss over the weekend. Do they not remember what that program was like before he took over? It wasn't even It wasn't even in this. Oh, I, I just can't get over that. What he has done for that program, what, what he has done for basketball in this state. Same with, uh, you know, Nate Oates. I didn't say what you want. He's, he's kind of, he's at the short end of some media criticism, obviously. And, you know, I, what, what Mark was referring to, of course, was Brandon Miller, the pregame. See, I, I never see, do you ever see the, uh, the pregame intro, I don't. I, I, but I watched it on YouTube only because it becomes a story now because national media jumping all over it. But I don't um, 
when they televise the games, do they actually show the players coming out like he did, like in, in real time? Uh, I don't think so, but I could be wrong on that. I didn't see the opening of the game. Yeah, I don't know. I, I it, sometimes I think you see it, sometimes you don't. But there's really there's no excuse for it. I mean, there's no there's no defending it. No, there it, isn't, and, and you're just, right. In, it's it's incredibly poor taste, and um. I'm surprised Nate Oates doesn't know about stuff like that, though, or say he says he doesn't because he's he's diagramming plays. But how do you not know? I mean, if if I'm sure this has been going on what for months. Yeah, yeah, it's not something it's that been happened going on overnight. all year. It's yeah. been going on all year. It, it was, and I don't have a problem with it going on all year. But at this point, you, you're, yeah. you're pretty damn tone deaf you would to think- even try it. Now, I don't, I don't buy. I believe that Nate Oates might have been doing something, but is he drawing up plays? No. Three minutes before no, the game, he's like, guys, not. guys, I know, I know, my starters are being announced right now, but you guys come over here and take a look at this. I think this might work. No, he's not drawing up plays. I, I still go back. I was talking to somebody the other day about coaches who stand up the whole game, like you, and like me. Yeah, like you. You told me you did. I don't know. I never saw you coach, but I think you told me you did. Yeah. And I always refer back to John Wooden, who won all those championships. Of course, it helps when you have Bill Walton and Kareem and players like that. But he never got off the bench. He, his, his theory was what we did in practice, that's, that's all you need to know. We, we practice, so you know, I shouldn't have to be running up and down the court. And he never did. And now, of course, that's very unusual in this day and age. Most coaches do stand. Most coaches are out there. Bruce Pearl. For instance, he's he's he seems like he's very much part of the game uh, because he's always on the court. But using that as an example, but uh, my point is, three minutes before the game, I the team is not there. You finish drawing up stuff, your your pregame huddle and all that in the locker room, and I'm not going to totally put the blame on Nate Oates because there are others that orchestrate these introductions. Somebody there, I don't know who, should have stepped up and said, this is not a good idea. And, and for those who didn't see it, you could go on YouTube and see it. It's a pat down as Brandon Miller comes shooting out of the locker room and all the pizzazz and all the fireworks that they're patting him down. Uh, I, and I've Mark, I don't know much about this. I'm going to be I'm really ignorant about this. But is this something that came out of MMA or something like that? Or is this it, it, it's it's happening out of MMA? I don't know. Mil- no, what is no, it? martial it, arts, martial arts no. or something like that. When they introduce people, I don't know. I, no, I've never seen they've it. been doing this in basketball for years. With I mean, A pat you, down. No, you, you have your own individual personalized like handshake. So one guy that doesn't get introduced, like one of the reserves, kind of sits at the end of the little player made tunnel uh or for lack of a better term and you do your own little personal handshake so then they say hey standing at five foot two at guard lee shervanian no. then you come in and you do your little thing yeah i'm, I'm, I'm aware of that gotten more and more extravagant with it and they do it on all levels but i've never seen a pat down that's what i'm saying i've seen every every one of yeah, I've seen some that, people do like a pat down others will put like a, a pretend like crown on your head uh, they do all sorts of things. That's cute. I'd like to see that. To put a crown on the head. No, I had never seen that particular. I've seen the jumping up and down and bumping up and bumping and all that and the hands. Yeah, I've seen all that. I was just wondering because I read somewhere where the pat down came from another sport, but I just don't remember exactly where. 
Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's not an original Brandon Miller came up with, but yeah, these guys have been doing it for years and not, not specifically that, but some sort of other antics and it's cool. People enjoy that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, I think we, I, I, I can't imagine there's anybody out there that could defend doing that in in respect to everything going on this week. It's just incredibly tone deaf. And while it may not be first on Nate Oates' list of priorities since he's drawing up plays two seconds before game, uh, someone on that staff had to have known that all year when Brandon Miller gets introduced, he's getting patted down. It's just incredibly tone deaf. And at the end of the day, Nate Oates is the head coach, and so it falls on him. And so I, it's pretty clear that he knew that that Brandon Miller was in the wrong. And so did Brandon Miller, I might add, because as soon as Nate Oates came to the post game, the first thing he mentioned was that was brought to his attention. It's been addressed. It won't. It, they will not be doing it again. And Brandon Miller basically took it off his Twitter account. Um, it's just a bad, bad look uh, for Alabama. And, and, and they continue to dig this hole even deeper. Uh, and it's going to continue to be the story of of college basketball. CBS reporter, I think his name is Matt Nolander. I was reading a, a column by him today, and he said going forward into the SEC tournament and more particular into the NCAA tournament, that Alabama will be, quote, the villain no matter who they play, where they play. So uh, that's hard on there. It's not it, – yeah, I mean, I hard to argue that point, right? Yeah. Hey, by the way um, – this, this one really took me back. Manny Machado, back in 2019, signed this awesome contract in baseball. Ten years, $300 million to go to San Diego. So in the contract was an opt-out clause, which was to take effect after this season. So what do the Padres do? They just signed him to an 11-year, $350 million contract without an opt-out. Unbelievable. I, because San Diego is not considered big money market. They're, I guess, middle of the road, even even below middle of the road when it comes to big markets. They're not Dodgers. They're not Yankees. They're not that in that vein. <laughs> they just shelled out. So they go from 300 mil to $350 million in extending his contract. So I guess they don't lose him this year after this year. Uh, so we got plenty to talk about today, obviously. Uh, we're going to talk to Drew DeArmond uh, on SEC basketball, Brandon Miller, and all that good stuff. That's coming up at 630. Uh, got a couple of uh, uh, teams preparing for the uh, Final Four locally. Garrett Trawick, in fact, his St. Luke's team taking the floor this morning. Uh, he will join us at 7 o'clock. The executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy, uh, on the XFL, on a whole number of uh, other issues as well. Uh, he will join us at 730. Uh, we mentioned high school basketball. Carla Berry, the women's uh, coach at McGill Tulin, will join us at 8 o'clock. They're one of four programs I read where uh, both program where both teams are going to be representing their schools. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we'll do the Miller Lite Golf That's at 8 o'clock. Miller, Miller Lite Golf Report with John Rochetti at 20 and Justin Ferguson at 8.30. So let's get started with your scoreboard traffic and weather. When we come back, though, we do need to talk, uh, believe it or not, uh, some baseball. Uh, I know he's got a big smile on his face. He, he, I knew that was going to come up. And we got to get back to Damian Lillard as well uh, because what we witnessed last night just does not happen very often. Uh, but, yeah, the Braves, 
That was my next story, but I'll hold on to it. Yeah, we're uh, they were at the mercy of a new rule. Yes, indeed <laughs> it was. Yeah, we, we can't just have a rule that doesn't have right. any controversy. Exactly. Especially new rules. They just well, don't work. It's just a good thing for the Braves it was exhibition and not regular season. Uh, so we'll get to it all next right here on the Sports Station. WNSP and WNSP.com. It's the opening kickoff. Hi, this is Phil Steele, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. And now the smart bounce pass Tatum. Tatum puts up a three. Bang! Jason Tatum from downtown. 1.3 remaining. No timeouts left for Philadelphia. How about that? 620. Welcome back in the opening kickoff. Just getting started here on a Monday edition. Mark and Lee from the studios of WNSP. Let me make one correction about the women's basketball. Auburn did beat Vanderbilt 78-76. They'll play in the SEC tournament Thursday, as will Alabama. They got beat by Ole Miss. You heard one of the, well, the most thrilling mo- one of the most thrilling moments this weekend in the NBA after Tatum gave Boston the lead with seconds to go. So Philadelphia inbounds to Joel Embiid. He threw up a 70-footer that went in, but a half a second too late. So while Philadelphia fans are going nuts, how could, I mean, Joel Embiid, a game winner? Nope. Just a split second too late, Mark. Otherwise, that would have been an incredible uh, shot to tie that game up. There was a, along those same lines, did you guys see there was a controversial buzzer beater in uh, Maine high school basketball? Uh, it was absolutely berserk. Um, let me see if I can get this right. So with like 20 seconds left, uh, as team hits a three-pointer to take a one-point lead, 20 seconds left. The other team, it was Thornton Academy, drives the lane, hits the shot, gets the one and one, gets the and one. So they go up two. So then the initial team then goes back and gets their own and one. So now they're up by one with like one tick left. Like there's one second left. So all they do is they lob it over the top. They hit a buzzer beater that goes in and they count it, but it got off too late, but there's no instant replay in high school, so they won it. It was absolutely nuts. Mark, speaking about buzzer beaters, and we're headed into March but we Madness. Move on. Yeah, we, we're, I'm, I got one to, you know, I'm, I'm not sure it's quite as good as that one. The Arizona State-Arizona game on Saturday. Arizona, one of the top teams in the nation, top 10. Arizona State beats them at the buzzer on a 60-footer by DeMarcus Cambridge. A 60-footer to defeat Arizona. First of all, it's a rivalry game, so there's that. Second of all, you got two teams, especially Arizona, who are doing quite well. And and then they get this guy who you know scores this long heave, and they win it. So like I say, we're getting really psyched for March Madness. You mentioned about that baseball game. I actually did not see this, but I read about it. I saw some of the game, but not the part that we're going to talk about. It's about the new rules. And unfortunately, baseball, a game that was not dictated by clock, is now 
in going to be dictated by a clock. And it's not only on the pitchers, but it's on the batters. They have to be set in the batter's box in a certain time. I think it's like eight seconds. All right. So the Braves are batting. It's a 6-6 ball game, ninth inning, bottom of the ninth, 6-6. Some guy who's not going to be on the roster, Cal Conley, steps up. Count goes 3-2, 3-2. And so then on the next pitch, he thought it was ball four which would have given the Braves an exhibition win, all right? Nope, the plate umpire called him out on strikes because the umpire said he wasn't set in the box in eight seconds. Yeah. In in the most uh, unlikeliest of scenarios, like you said, bases loaded, full count, tie game. And, I mean, I don't know if anybody actually went back and counted. I guess that's moot at this point, but... I can't think of a rule recently in any sport in which a new one which has been enforced that actually doesn't have any controversial side to it. There always seems to be some sort of downside to some new rule, and this was it. Uh, and this is what for this rule. So I don't know how you fix it. I don't either because I'm not used to the rule. I don't know if somebody keeps a stopwatch out there. I don't know how you determine because a lot of times when you watch basketball, I was watching in one instant, I guess it was the Auburn-Kentucky game where Williams was inbounding and he had to finally call a timeout, but it appeared to me more than five seconds had elapsed. Isn't that what it is? You have five seconds inbound yeah. the ball? Seemed like it was longer than five seconds. I don't know who keeps count on something like that. I mean, it's I don't know if it's Mississippi 1, Mississippi 2, or whatever it is, but I would suspect that had that 3-2 pitch uh, been during the regular season, you might have seen somewhat of a, a, a manager and somebody coming out there and really going after the umpire. So maybe it becomes like the NBA where they don't really call it all situations, just like, you know, early game, mid game stuff. But when it comes down to it, it it's one of those deals where I guarantee you where you're sitting around a, a table and there's a committee talking about what rules we can we can put in place no one thought of a scenario where it would be full count bases loaded final pitch and and this dude gets called for taking too long it's just it's uh it's it's unfortunate and again you you have this rule it's not like you can say okay we can we're 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 only going to enforce it on certain counts or in certain innings so don't get mad at the umpire I guess get mad at whoever decided this was going to be a rule. Exactly. And again, I don't know if they got a, uh, you know, sometimes on the scoreboard, if they're knocking off the seconds for a pitcher too, you know, to throw the pitch, but batter has to be in there in a certain amount of time. And then the pitcher has to deliver in a certain amount of time. I'm telling you, it's going to take, it's going to impact baseball, maybe in a negative way to start out the season until players get used to it. Actually, he was not the first one who was called, but it was just because it came down to that situation. Manny Machado, uh, in the opening day of spring practice, in their game on Friday, was called for a strike. But it wasn't like a third strike. It was like, I don't know, first or second strike for not being in the batter's box in the allotted number of uh, seconds. So, do they, there's no warning, right? Like, you know how in like, like if you touch the basketball after it goes to the hoop or whatever, that you get a warning for delay a game in basketball. There's no del- there's no warning for this rule, right? It's just an automatic strike. 
I'm wondering if maybe they should institute a warning. Like you'll get a bench warning or like you're on in football. You get a warning if, if like your, your team's out on the sideline or they're, they're past the, uh, I can't imagine the days of players getting out and adjusting their self self <laughs> adjusting their, whatever their armor, adjusting the wristbands and whatever, and going through all the motions and everything they're over with. Yeah. You can't do it. You can get well, away with it. Apparently, you got to jump in there and start swinging. That's before exactly you. what it is. Get in there, get in, and get out. It's uh, it's it was uh, it was so it's so ridiculous. And I, I'm not even a baseball guy, but that's just that's just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, like you said, at least it happened in a exhibition. Can you game. imagine if you're in a postseason series with the series on the line and you get called for that? That umpire be the most famous guy in all of sports. He makes that that call. There was an incident. We don't talk about the National Hockey League because uh, I'm sure there's not that much interest other than Ricchetti and me. But in the Ranger game yesterday, a defenseman, K. Andre Miller, one of their better defensemen, spit on an opponent, and he was ejected immediately. And there could be further punishment coming down on this. I think all sports frown on spitting. Ranger, you think? Yeah, and the Ranger coach said it was accidental. I don't know about that, but I just thought I'd toss that in. A spitting incident took a player out of the game and left the Rangers a little shorthanded on defense. All right, we come back. We talk a little SEC basketball. Drew DeArmond will join us. Uh, Garrett Trawick of uh, St. Luke's set to join us at 7 o'clock. We'll take your phone calls in between at 694-1055 and hit us up in the app at WNSP.com. It's the opening kickoff here on a Monday. Stay with us. So before I get started on the game, it... it was brought to my attention after the game about our pregame introductions. I think that's something that's been going on all year. I don't really know. I'm not, I don't watch our introductions. I'm not involved with them. I'm drawing up plays during that time. Regardless, it's not appropriate. It's been addressed, and I can assure you it definitely will not happen again. 632, welcome back in. That's the voice of Alabama basketball coach Nate Oates on Brandon Miller's introduction. You're listening to the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee right here on the Sports Station WNSP. All right, let's talk some uh, SEC basketball with one of the finest in the state of Alabama, Drew DeArm in Huntsville 97.7. Drew, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Morning, Lee and Mark. How are you? Good. I'm going to start. I, I, I want to get to Alabama and Auburn, but I'll start with Alabama since we had Nate Oates on. And, I, you know, I've been reading some columns, some uh, journalists around the nation that are declaring Alabama's the villain, everything about Brandon Miller. I didn't have a chance to talk to you about this last week. Why don't you uh, kind of update me on your thoughts on the Crimson Tide going forward? Well, I mean, certainly with the, the clip you just played about the pad down, I mean, that was that was not you know that that was a bad look no question about it I didn't see it I, I'm like Nato's I don't watch the intros and when they're coming out I'm 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 uh, tweeting trying to get ready you know making sure I got the starting lineups all that other kind of stuff I, I really don't even look but in the, in this climate in this case yes I mean 
I think they have been doing that all year. But again, you know, I think the the players and those involved should have thought about that. But I guess it really wasn't in their thought process. Certainly, but I will say this about Brandon Miller. Um, Certainly, uh, I think the University of Alabama would have pulled him off the floor if they thought there was any hint of that he did anything wrong as far as criminally or anything like that. I, I don't think it would be worth it for Nate Oates in his long-term career or the University of Alabama, even no matter how good Brandon Miller is. And I'll admit he's the best freshman and the best player I've probably ever seen at Alabama. Uh, but I'll just say this. I don't think if he were averaging 11 or 12 points per game, and was a freshman All-SEC and not maybe one of the five best players in America, that this would even be a story. I find it interesting that I know he didn't drive the car, but Jaden Bradley was in the vehicle. No one had said much of or a word about him being pulled off the floor. And he, of course, is a really good player himself, but he's definitely not Brandon Miller. There hasn't been a lot said about that. And, you know, and, and the thing is, guys, you know, he's reading his lawyer statement, and I've dug into this, and I actually knew that both those guys were – on the scene, you know, a month before this came out. Uh, but I was told that they had been vetted, you know, extensively. I definitely think that both those guys would have been pulled off if Alabama thought there was any hint of wrongdoing. They pulled Colin Sexton off the floor during the FBI investigation for a game. So I just feel like they, they were very, very confident in what they found. And, again, I know it's because he's Brandon Miller and he's, you know, averaging 20 points per game. He had 24 on Saturday. But I think – his high profile is the reason this is a story. I really believe that. And uh, if he wasn't nearly as good as they thought, then they wouldn't have pulled him off. And the two young people, you know, Darius Miles and Michael Davis, these are the guys that are responsible for this tragedy. And that's what it is. It's a tragedy that a young lady lost her life. And they're the ones that are going to pay for this. And Brandon Miller was, you know, shouldn't be the one being persecuted in all this, in my, in, in my opinion. Let me ask you about Arkansas. Were you at the game, by the way, on Saturday? Okay. Yes, sir, I was. Yeah, I, when I saw Arkansas earlier this year, and I told Mark this, I was impressed with their team, even though they got beat. But they run into kind of a slump, and their shooting wasn't very good. Now that Nick Smith has joined the team, okay, and they were 6-0 and prior. I'm sorry, they were 6-0 and since he entered the starting lineup. And they lost by three points, and that could easily have been a, a home win for Arkansas had that game been played in Arkansas. How much of a factor do you think Arkansas is now going into perhaps the NCAA tournament with Nick Smith now back in the lineup? And that's a great question, Lee. After watching the game live and, and being there and seeing this Arkansas team play, when you think about it, Anthony Black didn't have a great game. He fouled out for the second straight time against Elmer, but he had seven points. And I still think he's a top 15 pick. They have two top 15 picks in their starting five. And then you've got uh, a, a veteran like Debo Davis, and you've got Ricky Council, who in his role as the sixth man might be the best sixth man in the SEC. I told some friends of mine in the media after the game, I think they're the second-best team in the SEC now behind Alabama. I really do. Now if they have Nick Smith on the floor, now it's going to be interesting to see how they finish these last two games in this week. Uh, but if they finish strong and they, they can get a couple of wins, and I don't think that's without question. They can go to Tennessee. I think they've got a really good shot. Uh, and then they have to play Kentucky at home. But if they can get at least split or go 2-0, and I think they're going to be very, very dangerous in the SEC tournament uh, because of that talent. Uh, I think a rematch with Alabama uh, potentially, you know, could, could be in the cards. We'll see how the bracket plays itself out. Could even be in the championship game. We don't know. We, we haven't seen it yet or, you know, during the tournament. But I think right now, if you're talking about my eye test and, 
I've seen Alabama play Kentucky. I know Kentucky's playing much better now, Lee, and we'll talk about that with what they did against Auburn. But I think with the NBA talent they've got, and right now, to me, Kentucky doesn't have that kind of talent. I think Arkansas may be the second-best team in the league. All right, that, that gets to my next point about Kentucky. For weeks now, uh, first of all, as far as on the court, they've been the most, let's say, uh, roasted team in the SEC, okay, for not performing. And so I I looked at the Auburn-Kentucky game, and for weeks now it's been Kentucky's a bubble team, but Auburn's safe. Then they posted the fact that all, uh, that Kentucky has a much better quad one record than Auburn does. So if that's the case, what 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 happens with Auburn? Are they are they in the NCAA tournament for sure? Or are they maybe on the bubble and maybe getting out? Well, that's a great. I think Auburn is in a little bit of trouble uh, because the back end of their schedule. We've talked about it on the show before. Lee was very very difficult. Um, and I think the, the, the issue, though, is they have dropped a couple of home games, including to Alabama. I think coming up, when you think about them going to Tuscaloosa and then finishing at home against Tennessee, I think Auburn's got to at least uh, get one of those two. If they get one of those two, I think they're going to probably be a 10 or an 11 seed uh, going into Nashville, and they'll probably be okay. But if they lose them both, which is not inconceivable, then I think Auburn's going to have to win a game or two in Nashville. I think they're going to be in that dreaded, you know, last four in, first four out, which means you could be in, but you might not be, depending on the committee. Because uh, these bracketologists usually, like Joey Brackett, they, uh, you know, they usually have it uh, pretty spot on. But right now, they're I think Auburn's a ten, which means they're 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 in, but it's still perilous because you've got two tough games left. And so, to me, if Auburn wants to feel good and they need to get a quad one win. They need to get either Alabama or Tennessee. Certainly Alabama is going to be difficult because it's on the road, and then Alabama's playing for a regular season SEC championship, guys. But I don't think there's any question in my mind that all, that home game with Tennessee looms very large for Auburn because they need to impress the committee and they need to get a big win. And losing a third game at Neville Arena and one right before the SEC tournament would be damaging. I think Missouri's uh, win at Georgia was, was significant because I think they were starting to slide a little bit. I think Mizzou's got to feel pretty good right now, but as far as the team with with their stock sliding down the stretch, it would be Auburn, because they just don't have a lot of good wins. I agree with you. All right, let's – Drew DeArmond joining us from Huntsville. So who's definitely in from the SEC? Alabama, of course, uh, Arkansas, who else? Well, I think Alabama, I think Tennessee, uh, as you just mentioned, guys, Arkansas definitely in the tournament. I don't think there's any uh, doubt about that. Texas A&M, I think, is going to be in. Uh, I'm starting to feel good about Missouri. Uh, Missouri is, uh, you know, a, a fifth team that I think is uh, going to be, you know, definitely uh, in the NCAA tournament with what they did on Saturday. I, I don't think there's any doubt that, uh, you know, that 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 uh, that victory. And I'm going to say this: I think Mississippi State is close to they might, and can, of course, Kentucky is, is in now. You just we mentioned that they down the stretch they've been really good. But Mississippi State is a dangerous team. They could even jump over Auburn in the pecking order because that win over Texas A&M, first of all, helped Alabama out tremendously, giving them a chance to to win it outright. But then when you look at Mississippi State and down the stretch, they've got a chance to get another win against South Carolina. That would give them 20 wins. They should definitely win that game in the hump. And then when you look at them down the stretch and you know that uh, they've got a road game at Vanderbilt, uh, and Vandy, they stumbled against LSU, and 
they were kind of a dark horse down the stretch, but that ended any any chance they had to, to uh, get even on the bubble. If, if Mississippi State can win in Nashville, then I think they can get in. I've said the whole time, guys, that I think the SEC is can get a solid six teams in, maybe seven. Mississippi State might be that seventh team, but I think right now uh, it's going to be – if Auburn falters down the stretch, though, it may only be six. So I just think right now when you look at it, Alabama, Texas A&M, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Missouri, I think are in. It'll be it'll, it, Mississippi State and Auburn are going to be fighting down the stretch. Drew, one more question has to do with the firing of Kermit Davis. Ole Miss, what direction do you think they go in, or do you have any thoughts on who they might be looking at? Here's what I would do if I were Ole Miss guys, and they have a you know I, I talk to people around this league, and and I don't know if you if you if you two guys have ever had the pleasure of, of covering a game there. I have not since they built the pavilion, but people that I trust say it's as good an on-campus facility as there is in the conference uh, that Ole Miss built. If I were them, I would vet him extensively. I would look at Chris Beard. Uh, I know what happened at Texas that cost him that job, but he has been cleared uh, by the authorities of any wrongdoing. I would certainly vet him in every form or fashion, but this is a, a guy that took Texas Tech and they were an overtime away from winning a national championship. Uh, I don't know that he can do that at Ole Miss, but I certainly think he could get them to the tournament consistently, and he would be the first guy that I would bet would be Chris Beard, the former uh, Texas Tech coach who went to Tech, who went to the Longhorns. I would definitely bet Chris Beard in every way, and they fired Kermit Davis so early they can do that, but I would definitely take a long, long look at Chris Beard. It's, coaching searches, you guys know this, are all about timing and circumstance. Any other time, they would not have had a shot at Chris Beard because he would still be at Texas, and they'd have a top-ten team and be a national championship contender. But that guy played for a national championship at a place that's not a basketball school, so to speak. And if I were Ole Miss, Chris Beard would be at the top of my list. Drew, as always, man, great stuff. We appreciate you getting up early with us, man. We'll be in touch. Thank you, guys. You know, Mark, sometimes when a team gets labeled, and in this case, some national media labeling Alabama, quote-unquote, as the villain, sometimes teams use that as a rallying point, you know, and all right, it's us against the world now, or it's us against them, so we'll see. There's there's a lot more basketball to be played, uh, but I'm, I agree with Drew, and I, I said this after Kentucky, and I knew Kentucky was going to beat Auburn. I think Auburn's in trouble as far as getting to the NCAA. I, I don't. They're not going to beat Alabama, I don't think. Tennessee, eh, not so sure because it's the home game. That that's where I might say well, but I, I have to agree. They have to win one of those two, I think, to make sure they get in to the NCAA tournament. All right, when we come back, you guys can jump in at six nine four one zero five five. A rare open segment. You guys can. Uh, we've talked a lot about Brandon Miller and the pat down. Uh, you want to talk some college hoops, you can do that. Uh, Damian Lillard just went nuts last night, 71. And, of course, uh, the Braves, victim of the uh, apparently not not getting in the bat box soon enough, cost him, a, granted, an exhibition game, but still a game. Uh, and there's somebody in the app. Man, oh, man, Lee hates Auburn. <laughs> yeah, all that money they took from me. That's right. So Lee will respond when we come back next right here on the sports station WNSP. Just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, he, is, yeah. he has put forth 
Such an effort tonight. And the crowd on their feet here on a Sunday night in Portland for Damian Lillard. Their favorite son. All right, 649. Welcome back in. Wrapping up hour number one. It's the opening kickoff. You guys can jump in at 694-1055. All right, you heard some of the um, audio. Lots of NBA action. Uh, and also, when we get to our Chick-fil-A at 720, the question will be directed at an NBA game on Saturday night. Gee, I wonder which one that was going to be, the 175 to 174 game. But let me ask the gentleman I work with. Uh oh. Wow. That would be you and Nick. So, Antoine Davis plays for Detroit, whatever, Mercy, her, well, I, I don't, I know they added some names to him, but it, it's Detroit to me, the University of Detroit. And he now is about 60 points away from breaking Pete Maravich's all time scoring record, which has stood for quite some time. Now, I'm not trying to downplay it, but remember Maravich, did, when he played, there was no three-point shot, there was no shot clock, and in three seasons, he averaged like 44 points a game or something like that. Antoine Davis, and you might re- know who his dad is, it's Mike Davis, the former Alabama player who's been a coach at UAB in Indiana, took him to a Final Four, Texas Southern. He is the coach at Detroit. So, Mark, he's about 60 points away. He has one regular season game to go, and the team is not doing that well. They're not going to go into a tournament. I mean, they're going to go into the conference tournament. So you get at least one game in the horizon. Do we look at this, and it's not getting as much play, obviously, as LeBron James breaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, but how ironic would it be that in the same year and basically a month removed that you would have both the college scoring record and the NBA record be eclipsed and I'm not trying to compare LeBron breaking Kareem I'm just saying it's out there so what's the question (laughs) do you can even put this in the same vein as the you know breaking a a college scoring record all time as the NBA record I know Uh, what Nick's reaction is going to be but how about yours um is it as impressive uh, probably not. Should it be? It should be, but it won't be. I, I think being the all-time, um, I think there's so many more factors that go into being the all-time NBA scoring leader when it comes to longevity and staying healthy and having to perform for a much longer time. Um, I know there are going to be a lot of Pistol Pete fans out there, but if the guy breaks the record, it's only going to bring more notoriety to a guy that we don't talk about nearly enough in Pistol Pete. Certainly, Davis has some uh, some factors that are in his favor, right? Davis is not e- he's not even like an NBA prospect at this time, um, and he's in his fifth year. I don't know if he played that first year or how the COVID, but uh, Nick, what about you? Uh, I, I kind of felt you'd look at the NBA record, you being the NBA opponent, a little more closely than college. Yeah, well, like uh, Mark was saying, uh, you got to play a little longer in the NBA. It's a little bit of a, not a little bit, it's a lot of bit of a tougher record to get and to hold. Um, yeah, I mean, the college one takes five years to get. The NBA one takes 20 plus years to get. Uh, I'm looking at his numbers. He averages 28 points a game, but he's averaged 34 over the last eight games. So 
If he's got two games to do it, it seems like he might actually get it this done. He has at least two. If they win the first game in the Horizon League tournament, then he'd get another one. And you're right. He's he's doing well. I am such a big I was such a big Pistol P. Maravich fan. And I, and somebody said to me, would it be okay to put an asterisk? No, I don't go into the asterisk stuff. If he breaks it, he breaks it. Okay. I think anybody who knows you know, anything about basketball, you can, you make your own decision was, you know, okay. The record gets broken, but you know, Maravich did it in three years because you couldn't play as a freshman and they didn't have the three point shot. And somebody calculated Mark and I don't know how, well, I know how they could do it, that he would have averaged well over 50 points a game if they had the three point shot back then. Yeah. All right. Uh, Nick. What's up? Lillard hit 71, man. What do you think? Man, Damian Lillard. Can we, let, let, let's give this guy his flowers, man. He, he's probably a top five player in the NBA. I think we all just forget about him just because he plays in Portland and has no supporting cast around him. But when it's just, when it comes down to just scoring, like you know it's going to be Damian Lillard who's shooting it. The whole other team knows he's about to shoot it. He starts to shoot it. They're there, but he just keeps making it, man. Damian Lillard is, he's on another level. If he were to ever do the, like, team up or go and try and join a team to win a ring, he'd be an immediately, uh, immediately a championship favorite wherever he went. But he's in Portland, so, oh, well. So if he's one of the top five, who are the other four? Nikola Jokic. Okay. Giannis. Right. LeBron. Okay. And I'm going to go with... Oh, man. You see, in the NBA, there's like eight players in the top five, you know? Yeah, that math doesn't really work out, but okay. (laughs) Ah... I'm really struggling here between KD and Joel Embiid. It's probably KD. All right, so so Lillard's top five for his for his scoring ability. Yeah, he he's yeah scoring ability definitely. So where would you put? I don't know. Let's just throw out. Uh, I don't know. Donovan Mitchell would he be a top five? Top five scorer or top five player? Would you consider him for a top five player? We were talking about top five players, right? Top five player, no. I'm just wondering because Lillard's in there for scoring 71. I'm just wondering if you're going to put everybody in there that scored 71. I mean, when you watch Damian Lillard, it's just like watching something you've never seen before. He just so effortlessly takes these pull-up threes and these step backs, and he hits them all. It's it's crazy to watch. I can't really think of any other player who does that. Steph Curry doesn't even really do what Damian Lillard does. Maybe they're – here – Erase my hot take of saying that Dame's <laughs> top five. Here's my new hot take. Right. Damian Lillard is better than Steph Curry. That is a hot take. Okay. Well, he is now because Curry's not playing. Well, healthy ankle, whatever. Give, give me Dame. You, you take Dame over. Playing. You take Dame over Dame. Steph. Yeah. He's probably. Over the years, one of the most unsung players, and as you know, Nick pointed out, playing out in Portland, and the fact that Portland, decent team, but not a great team, and 
you know, when he had that support with McCollum, uh, you know, arguably one of the best backcourts at that time, but then they traded him to uh, the Pelicans, which was a good move for the Pelicans. So I don't, I haven't checked their box score to really see who, who helps him out, you know, who really takes the pressure off him. Apparently nobody. They took him out with 44 seconds left. I feel like he could have gotten another shot up. So, so this is the second time a player has scored 71 right. just this year. Do you think that there's a chance that someone ever hits 100? No. Uh, is there a chance? Y- yeah. I mean, I think there's a chance. I mean, think about it. Lillard would have had to hit all of his three-pointers. He was 13 of 22, I think yeah. it was. So if he makes nine, the nine he missed, that's another 27. He'd be at 98 with 44 seconds to go. I mean, it's possible. It's unlikely. Right. But it's possible. I mean, you'd kind of have to be in that mode where you're... And I didn't watch this game. I saw the highlights. I mean, you'd have to be looking for your guy every time down, kind of like what they did with Kobe. Like, you just yeah. just feed him the ball. Well, that, that's what this game felt like. I think the next leading shot taker... I don't think anyone took double-digit shots uh, that was on Portland other than Dame. Maybe someone took 10 shots. But he took about near 40 shots that game. All right, hour number two on the way. Garrett Trawick, uh, St. Luke's boys coach, set to join us there. He's, uh, his team's taking the floor today for the Final Four. Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese Senior Bowl also. And hour number three, Carla Berry, the McGill-Tulin girls basketball coach, John Ricchetti, and Justin Ferguson on Auburn. Stay with us. Here comes hour number two. Opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 7.04. Hope you and yours had a happy and safe weekend. It's the opening kickoff, hour number two. Mark and Lee from the studios of WNSP. Some of the headlines, Damian Lillard setting a Portland scoring record, 71 points, and the Trailblazers win. Hawks signed Quinn Snyder to a five-year deal. He had been a a former head coach with Utah. Uh, Dallas becomes the first NBA team to blow a 27-point lead, and they lose that game to the Lakers. Kyle Busch. Uh, driving the number eight for Richard Childress now, wins at the Auto Club Speedway in Fontana. He has now won a Cub Series race for 19 straight years. That sets a new NCAA record. We're getting a report. I think Nick took a phone call off the air that there's no light at Airport and Florida Street. So be advised if you're coming up on that intersection, that's Airport and Florida. Uh, you guys can jump in at 694-1055. That's the number. Um a lot of talk about Brandon Miller and Alabama and his uh, pat-down intro. Uh, guys, there's just really no way to defend it. It, it was not, not only in poor taste, it's tone deaf, and the fact that nobody in that program recognized it as such before he took part in that, including Brandon Miller, I might add, is, is, is I, I, don't, I can't even come up with a word. It's, just, it's so 
distasteful, uh, ill-timed, whatever word you want to use. Uh, Nate Oates, we played some audio. He, first thing he mentioned when he came to the uh, press conference was that he was unaware of it. It won't happen again. It was been it's been talked about, but man, somebody in that program had to have known that that's just not a good look after the week that they've had. That you just you just can't. And you also you know you could say well maybe an individual or two who's ever in charge of pregame and so forth. But also, how about a, a teammate? How about, you know, some leadership on the team? Granted, I know it's they got freshmen and they have sophomores, but uh, still you would think that somebody might step up and say, you know what, maybe this is not the best idea now to do something like this in lieu of that tragedy, yeah, the shooting in Tuscaloosa, especially when two players other than those that have been – you know, charged with the capital murder have also, in a sense, been implicated as far as, as I turned out, they're probably going to be key witnesses in this case. One would be Bradley. The other would be Miller. But maybe just shy away from anything that calls attention to it. Yeah, I guess the the, the, the other question is, and because you made a great point, we rarely, if ever, especially from a TV broadcast, watch the intros. The fact that should we be more mad today because he did it over the weekend or because he's been doing it? They've been doing it all year. So like, was he, was he doing this even after the incident went down after his name has been connected to this after Nate Oates has done press conference after press conference and talked about how wrong place, wrong time and walk those states. Are we, has he, you know, and then the report come out that the gun was in the car. Like, he was still doing it the whole time. I mean, how did I guess the other question is, how did nobody notice that this was part of his intro until this weekend? Yeah, that's a good question, Mark. I, I, that's there's no answer for that, because like I say, I have not watched any of their player intros this year. And in fact, many of these games, you don't get to see that because there's an overlap. You know, they only put two hours between games, and you might be watching a game at 6 o'clock that doesn't end until, let's say, 8.15. Yeah. And by the time you get to it, they're two or three minutes into the game. I did not see any of the, the warm-ups uh, or the uh, pregame introductions for the Alabama-Arkansas game. So I, I don't have an answer for that. But here's another thing, too. NATO should be celebrating one of the greatest years in Alabama basketball history. But he seems... Things have occurred because of what happened that he seems to be so much on the defensive now. And it's almost like he'll go he goes into the locker, or let's say the press conference, maybe to talk about it, a very fine win over Arkansas. And instead, he's getting hit with something like that. And it's like he must be thinking, gosh, can I get a can I get from under this? It's like I'm looking at one thing. I'm looking to talk about my team's win and they're getting me on pregame introductions, which. I don't, and he says, I don't know anything about, you know, I, although I have to still, if you're the CEO of a program, I think you have to know something about what they're doing. I just can't imagine he had no idea, but it's like he can't get out of the, it's like they keep putting their foot in their mouth and he can't get out of his own way. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I, I can't think of a, um, another instance that has been so, uh, poorly timed than that one because of the the spotlight that is on your program to begin with it's almost a for lack of a better term and if you got kids in the car you can kind of it, it, it's almost it almost felt like an act of defiance from brandon miller 
I could see that. I could see that. Although, I'm going to say this, and I'm not defending him. Is he clueless? Like he just, he's tone deaf? Is he? I don't know. I, that's what I'm raising the question. I would hope he'd be smarter than this. I really do. And I know this. I, I would think that anybody out there who is any way, shape, or form connected to any kind of, even though you're not charged, there's going to be no charges against them. I, I you know, make that clear that uh, the, the, the police, prosecutors, there's no charges. Uh, again, I, I think, you know, he is he's being looked at as a key, key witness in this capital murder case. But don't you think you wanted to stay clear of any more controversy? And and again, maybe he maybe he just doesn't get it. Maybe, you know, as a freshman, you know, that it, it's like he's not thinking about that. And But that's where you hope a team leader, a, a, some a player or maybe an assistant coach or maybe somebody who has anything to do with the uh, the let's say orchestrating the pregame introductions might step in and say, hey, look, maybe this is not a good idea now. Let's just hold off. And whether we like it or not and whether it's fair or not. Alabama fans, Alabama supporters cheering for when Brandon Miller got introduced is are now being linked to the idea that they were cheering because he was being patted down, which is not what happened, I can guarantee you. But all the tweets that went out about how it's disgusting that Alabama fans are supporting the fact, it, they're forever linked. It's kind of like Nate Oates. He, he can't get out from under it. No, we can't. And here's another thing, too. If you think, if you're listening to the show today and you think we're playing this up too much or making too big of a deal, take a look at some of the Internet sites. Go to CBS. Go to some of ESPN. See what some of the uh, national writers are saying about this. They are really zeroing in on Alabama on this and basically saying they will definitely be the villains of the NCAA tournament. And believe me, compared to what we're saying, we're very, very mild compared to some of the stuff that's being written out there now. Yeah. Um, so somebody had said in the app that uh, um, that Brandon Miller changed his Twitter main page or photo to the pat down. It's actually the reverse. His Twitter page... His Twitter photo had him getting patted down after the game. He changed it and got rid of it uh, for those that were curious. Well, I doubt we'll see any more of that in their two remaining games. Or and Actually, I'll say that for any game this year. I mean, if, if Nate Oates is accurate, as he said, you know, inappropriate. And, and again, he, I, I buy into this. You know, he just can't get out of the way of anything because, like I say, he comes into the press room and – so like you know they beat they beat Arkansas and and they clinched no worse than a tie so they're going to finish first no matter what even if it's a tie with uh, Texas A and M although I think most of us really believe that they will win it outright because all they have to do is win one out of their next two games and then you get hit with this and I was like and, so, and if he really didn't know he's like he must be like come on and I didn't know that's not exactly a great response to the media. Someone in the app, why change? Been doing it all year. No charges. One has nothing to do with the other. They aren't related. Well, okay. Say what you want. If you believe that, that's fine. But in the eyes and the perception of the public, it's not a good look. Now, if you want to buy into it, if you're okay with it, hey, I'm, we're not going to change your mind. But I'm just saying from a national viewpoint, it's probably not a good look. It uh, it, it lacks sympathy for the victims 
and the everyone involved with the story that you are going up and being patted down by you know in the way that a uh, a perp or someone that has done something illegal is being patted down while your 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 name is connected to a story about someone who died by gunfire i i would say it's incredibly tone deaf yeah and mark incredibly insensitive there's I, no other way to sp- it seems like every time there's a story coming out of this that there's a quote or by Nate Oates or somebody there's a quote and then in the last in the last line oh our sympathies certainly go out to the family it's like that seems to be over here now there was a story and again I'm not here to dump on Nate Oates about this but like I think al.com I I don't even know who authored the story maybe it was Mike Rodak maybe it was Mike or whatever said something that you know he had not reached out to the Harris family. I'm not here to say that he has to, but maybe it would it have been such a bad idea if he did. I mean, let's face it. Players of his were involved in this. I, I, I guess not being in a position like that, I, I can't, I'm not going to condemn him for it, but I would have said it would have been a very good PR move maybe to reach out to the family. And even if it didn't get publicized, Mark, to say, you know, I've been in touch with them. And I don't know if anybody at Alabama's hierarchy, the AD or anything like that, has. Would it have been such a bad idea um, to touch base with the family? I don't know if it would have been a bad idea. I don't know if it's something. I mean, would the Houston Texans have reached out on uh, to all the masseuses in, in the Houston area? No, we're not. T- we're talking about a death. We're not talking about. But we're talking about. But we're talking about potentially illegal activity. Um, okay, so maybe that's a poor example. Well, but my point is... My point is it doesn't get much worse than this. You left a five-year-old kid motherless. It doesn't, to me... It, it, I mean, there are things that could happen, maybe you could say. But, you know, as far as an individual getting killed like this in a senseless... When I say a senseless shooting, I mean, anybody who's read the story could see that. So would it have been such a bad idea? You know, it's always like... It's like he does he does a press conference and then he always comes back and says, well, and my heart goes out to the family. Fine. All right. Well, I don't know. Maybe go do something about it. Yeah. Um, all right. You guys, we'll, we'll, here's what we'll do. Let's do a scoreboard traffic and weather. Uh, we'll do some Chick-fil-A when we come back and we'll open up the phones. You guys can get in on that topic and much more. Uh, it's been a spirited and animated edition of the opening kickoff. Uh here on this Monday edition. So stay with us. Plenty left right here on the sports station, WNSP. Hello, Mobile. This is Damian Craig, and I'm listening to sports station, WNSP. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A All right, 723, here you go, Lee. It's our our chance to uh, gift a WNSP listener with some lunch or dinner. Well, I hope uh, Mr. Basketball Nick doesn't get upset again because he seems to think that sometimes we pick on the NBA, his own NBA, like he's the commissioner. But, like, when I saw the score... On Saturday night, 
uh, the Kings winning 175 to 174 over the Clippers. And I don't know if you ever watched gymnastics, but in gymnastics, and they're selling out, especially at Alabama and Auburn, the scores get up to like 197 something. Sure. Yeah, it's 197, 197, give or take. So I'm starting to think, my gosh, they're getting like the gymnastics. So here's your question. The game on Saturday night, won by the Kings, was the second highest scoring game ever in the NBA. The second highest scoring ever. All you have to do is name the two teams that were involved in the highest scoring game. I think it was like 184 to 180 or whatever. Um, And I think that game went like triple overtime or something. But it goes back a few years. So all you have to do is name the two teams that were involved in that. And you get yourself a Chick-fil-A. How about that? 694-1055. And while you're doing that, one Adam Schefter reported about an hour ago, citing sources, of course, that the Bears have been approached by multiple teams about trading the draft's number one overall pick. And Chicago Lee is said to be, quote, leaning forward or I'm sorry, leaning toward moving the pick. I've heard that before. So the number one pick now looks like, according to Adam Schefter, is for sale. Yeah, here's the deal on that. Um, Do they not think that Justin Fields is their quarterback in the future? Do they think that perhaps Bryce Young might be the better option? Now, again, I'm just throwing this out based on reports I've heard that if the Bears are ready to give up on Justin Fields, could they be pointing towards Bryce Young? So that's something, you know, but of course, here's what's going to happen between now and April. You're going to hear a lot of fake news about the draft. So just keep that in mind. Uh, You already got a winner, Rob. Already? Already. Rob knocking it out. Trying to think. Who do I have there? Uh, Denver and Detroit. (laughs) Is it Denver and Detroit, uh, Nick? Am I, are those the two teams I had? That's correct. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember that game. That's back in 1980, I think it was. Uh, 185 to or 184 to 180 or something like that. Think about the uh, game on Saturday. I think didn't uh, the Clippers miss a three pointer at the buzzer that could have won that game? Or yeah, no? It, it ended up going to triple overtime. Um, and and that was also Russell Westbrook's first game. Oh yeah, that's right. It was he on did the other right. side of Staples Center as a Clipper. That's exciting, right? We're all excited you know, about that. Yeah, I'm not. You know what I'm more excited about? <laughs> Kawhi Leonard has is, is now become a factor again. Yeah, he looks good. He does. He's scoring a lot of points. Uh, he's. I think one game recently had like about 40. So I'm glad he's back. I don't care how many points he scored. I'm glad he's back. I've always liked his play. Uh, there was a listener who uh, I, I think should get a Chick-fil-A, an anonymous listener in the app whose answer to your question was the West All-Stars versus the East <laughs> All-Stars, which I thought yeah, was I very clever. You know what? I should have qualified that. That yeah. does not count. Yeah, but kudos to you, sir. You, you you went absolutely nothing, but you get an A for creativity there. You brought up something earlier that somebody said I was an Auburn hater. Oh, yeah. You're for an, what? What did for, I say? For your take on the because Auburn basketball. I, because I said that they're right, right now on the bubble, and I think I, it's not just my view. It's that it has nothing to do whether I like him or not. I think anybody who knows anything knows I like Bruce Pearl quite a bit. I think he's a terrific coach. And having, you know, I, I attend a game every now and then. I don't see how anybody can make a statement like that. All you have to do when they post it, and I was a little surprised at this, because Kentucky – up to this point, up to the game Saturday, had been a team so-called on the bubble and was starting to trend towards making the NCAA tournament. 
But, Mark, their record against quad one teams is far superior than Auburn's, and Auburn, and now they have a better record, one game better than Auburn, but their record against quad one, Auburn is two and seven against quad one teams. That's not exactly uh, star power. So why you hate on Auburn? Who said I did? The guy on the app. I don't know who that is. Let's speak up. Let him get on the phone and talk to me. Uh-oh. Okay? Let's challenge. Wow. Yeah. I don't. I never uh, did. Getting I ever feisty on I ever said on this day. Lee picking fights since 1980 that I hate Auburn. No, that's but most clearly ridiculous. Your takes th- indicate uh, you do. In fact, it says in the app 44 minutes ago. Man, oh man, does Lee hate Auburn? Because I said something that everybody knows that right now they're on the bubble. Okay, they should what be about, more supportive. What should I say? That you should be a top seed. Would that make you feel better? And how about you last year ragging on them when they didn't it's do well? It's about me. Team? No, I'm going to shift it to you. And last year when you were ragging on them for not doing better in the NCAA tournament after being number one. I don't think It's easier I said to that. drag people down than it is to lift them up. Exactly. Either. Isn't that what I mean, the he's proving the point. He's trying to drag me in this with him. You're the Try. one that hates Auburn, not me. Uh, hold on to my hand. It's like the Titanic. We'll go down together. We're not holding hands, Lee. Okay. As much as you'd like to, it's not going to happen. Oh, stay on your side of the table, Shervanian. It's not big enough. 729, we come back. Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, joins us next right here on the Sports Station. Stay with us. Welcome in. The opening kickoff here on a Monday continues. Mark and Lee from the studios at WNSP. Let's talk some football now with uh, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Welcome aboard, Jim. How are you doing these days? I'm doing great this morning, guys. So I'm kind of curious. You know, I've watched a little XFL. I have a couple of questions. And, you know, you being associated with the NFL for all these years, playing in these spring leagues, does that kind of give some of these players a platform to maybe get into the NFL? And we could even talk about maybe A.J. McCarron. Is there a possibility if he continues his play that maybe he'll get a look? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I think these leagues are great. That and the USFL are great leagues for uh, opportunity for not just the players, but the coaches and the personnel people. And uh, no, I, I, again, I think there's going to be some, there's going to be a time probably not too far down the road where those two leagues merge. Um, and we just have one big spring league. I, I have a hard time seeing two viable spring leagues happening, um, you know, coinciding one another moving forward for, for the, for the long term. Um, but yeah, I think a spring league viable and, and I think it's a great platform for all those guys. And yeah. If AJ keeps doing what he's doing with two game winning drives in the, in the final minute of, of the first two games, he's, if he keeps playing like that, uh, yeah, he's for sure going to get another NFL opportunity as, as he should. Jim, have you watched any of the, uh, the games? On TV? Uh, bits and pieces. I haven't sat and watched an entire game. Um, I've just been catching up on a lot of things around the house, Lee. Things, uh, I, I spent five hours on Saturday cleaning the garage, which was long, <laughs> long overdue. I took, some, I took some Christmas lights down. Um, <laughs> this, is, uh, this, this is a, yeah, we're almost in March. I'm just taking my Christmas lights down. But, but uh, things, things go by the wayside uh, around our house from uh, – 
about Thanksgiving through through uh, Senior Bowl. So I got a lot of catching up to do. My only point was if if you watch even bits and pieces, which I've seen eh, a minute here, a minute too. I I don't know if you. You know, there's been other spring leagues, even while you were in the uh, NFL, and the NFL is such a big brand and obviously the top professional sports. I'm just curious what people in the NFL feel about these spring leagues or, you know, about leagues like this, whether they buy into it or just, you know, just just look at it and just not even pay any attention to it. Well, I know I know the pro scouting department scouts those leagues thoroughly. Um, You know, there's a scout on every staff assigned to – those leagues, sometimes the pro guys will split it up and, and, you know, they'll take half the league. Each guy will take half the league. But these leagues right now are small enough. I think that's really one man's job is to, uh, you know, you got, what, like 10 teams? I mean, that's not a real heavy lift. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're get, <clears throat> excuse me, getting scouted thoroughly. And you got like, you got a young, a lot of young players who were on NFL rosters last August that, uh, you know, those 90-man rosters before the cutdowns that um, have been on the street since. So this is a, you know, now they've had, five or six months to stay in the weight room and get bigger and faster and stronger. And um, yeah, they're keeping a close eye on those guys. All right. Let's have some fun with some names and predictions. Uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers, where does he wind up next year? You know, I love the prediction game. Don't you Lee? Oh yes. (laughs) And you know what? We don't tape this. You're not going to hold it against you. We're not going to play it back in. And and anything's better than cleaning out the garage, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know. I with Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, you look at team. I mean, I think the Jets feel like they need to win. Um, I think Derek Carr's just knowing the guys up in New York. I think Derek Carr is probably a better fit there. Um, and I don't know if I see a marriage between Vegas and, and Aaron Rodgers working. And if I had to bet, maybe I don't know, Lee. He goes back to Green Bay. Let's right just, back to Green Bay, let's right? Just go with that one. Right back to Green Bay. Yeah. So there was a report by Schefter earlier today, and we've talked a little bit about it, Jim, that it appears the Bears are leaning toward uh, shopping that number one pick. Is there a team that comes to mind that you would think initially would have gone free agent for a quarterback that might find themselves now talking to Chicago about moving up and grabbing that overall pick? Well, I mean, when you're up that high in the draft, Mark, every single one of those slots, it takes a ton just to move up a slot or two. I mean, even if, if Houston moves from two to one, I mean, they're still probably going to be sacrificing a next year's one or, you know, a combination of twos and threes. I mean, just for one spot. So it's going to have to be someone within range of that number one spot, I would think. And to me, that would probably be Indianapolis and Houston would be the two teams. And the Bears are really sitting pretty because now they can leverage leverage a couple teams that are, are pretty quarterback desperate at this point. Uh, you know, Houston went through the season with David Mil- Davis Mills in year two. And, and again, to David, to, to, in Davis's defense, it's not like he was set up for a ton of success. And then, you know, Indianapolis has had a, a quarterback carousel for the last three or four years with, with veterans, with Phillip Rivers and, you know, and Carson Wentz and the guys in Matt Ryan. So um, they probably have to do something. Chris Ballard, their GM's really good at what he does. He's done, he's done a really good job in the draft. They just haven't found that young quarterback ever since, you know, the Andrew Luck thing really crippled that franchise, that that premature retirement by Andrew Luck. So I think it would be those two teams. I think Ryan Poles, the GM of the Bears, is he's sitting pretty right now. Um, I mean, that's a team that has a lot of holes to fill, and he's, he's probably going to get a lot of picks for that, uh, for that number one overall pick. You know, I know it's the silly season and the rumors are rampant and that's done on purpose and, you know, prior to the draft. 
But as far as some of the senior bowlers, are you hearing anything about some of them maybe moving up based on what's been done? I know we have the uh, combine coming up this week, uh, which sometimes can help a player too. But any players in particular that you know stand out that you know maybe moving up to maybe as high as the first or second? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys, Lee. And again, if they if they if they couldn't move up, then there's no sense having the game. Um, so yeah, a lot of guys are a lot of guys are are moving up. And usually, when you're talking about getting into the first round, especially big school players, um, you know, I think the big school guys can maybe maybe move a, a half a round or a round. Um, but again, when you're up in the you know second third round area, that's a lot of money. Like like Kadarius Tony's a great example. A couple of years ago, KT was like 35 to 40 on most teams' boards going into Senior Bowl and ended up 20. So you move 15, 20 spots, that's that's millions of dollars that Kadarius, uh, you know, made himself that pre-draft process. And he, I think there's a lot of offensive linemen from our game. I think Cody Mouk from North Dakota State, um, you know, Dewan Jones from Ohio State. I, I think we could have five to six offensive linemen go in the first round this year. And, and again, it might not happen, but I think there's five or six that are legitimately – um, viable first-round picks, and again, when I when I post stuff on social media, I, I I try to do that very responsibly because right now all the agents are trying to do they're, they're the agent's biggest job right now is to manage expectations for their clients, um, and I would never post stuff on social media about our guys about unrealistic draft expectations. You know, I I never say that a guy's got a chance to be a first-round pick unless I've heard that from. For multiple teams, I would never want to set our guys up for disappointment on draft weekend. But, yeah, I think right now, as it stands, we've probably got seven to ten overall guys that have a good shot at being a first-round pick. And our average has been seven the last four years. We've had 28 in the, in the, in the last four years. So I think we're probably somewhere around that number. Uh, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the recent senior bowl, our guest here on WNSP. One of the other things we wanted to get to was some of the potential rule changes in college football as it relates to the clock. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm sure you saw them. Uh, I think there was prohibiting consecutive timeouts. So, you know, that way you're not icing kickers. Um, one of them was no longer extending a first or third quarter for an untimed down if the quarter ends on a defensive penalty. Uh, the third was the clock will continue to run after an offense gains a first down, except inside of two minutes. And the controversial one, Jim, is the clock will continue to run after an incomplete pass once the ball is spotted for play. Anything grab your attention there? Well, the last one, because we did it in the Senior Bowl this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so an incomplete pass out of bounds, or a play out of bounds, or an incomplete pass, we ran the clock once the ball was spotted um, to speed up the game. So, yeah, I could definitely, I think that's, that's actually a really good rule change. Um, and the other ones, yeah, I think you're going to see, again, with these other leagues, too. I mean, you look at the NFL, some of the stuff the XFL um, and the USFL are doing in terms of some you know, um, pretty unique rule stuff with kick kickoffs and things of that nature. Um, I don't think we'll ever do away with punts in, in football. I don't, I don't see that, but I know there's been a push to uh, eliminate kickoffs because that's where uh, the majority of concussions have come. The most violent collisions come on kickoff. And uh, I think we're seeing some of those other pro leagues be really creative with the kickoff stuff. So yeah, I think, I think any league goes it to their players um, and to their fans to, to do anything that could better the game. And, and, uh, I think that last one you mentioned about the, the speeding up the clock, I think those are good rules. How about the uh, XFL and the 4th and 15 instead of an odd-sides kick? Do you ever somehow, somehow see that making its way to the NFL? Yeah, and that's another one, Lee, because you got a bunch of stationary targets that are basically they're just sitting ducks. 
you know, trying to recover an onside kick and they're getting blasted by guys going full speed. You know, they're, they're, they're in a squat position getting ready to smother a football um, and guys get blown up. So, yeah, in terms of player safety, I think that, that makes a lot of sense too. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see the NFL uh, moving in that direction. You know, we, we hadn't talked to you since the XFL had debuted, I, and I know we, we talked about it. I'm sure you saw it, but AJ's first game, I mean, they used every rule in the book, it seemed like, to get back in that game, including going for three on the conversion, the fourth and 15 instead of the onside kick. Uh, it just... I mean, it was almost, it, you couldn't have drawn it up any better if you were the XFL that weekend. No, they did. I, I did see that. I saw, the, I saw the end of that game. And, uh, man, it's, just, it's, it's really cool that AJ's getting to share this with his, with his boys right now because um, you know, they, weren't, they weren't big enough to remember Dad when he was a player and, and doing his thing. So, and, and when it comes to AJ, I, I've, I've maybe said this on the air with you guys before. I, I really feel like a lot of these guys' NFL careers are circumstantial. Um, and unfortunately for AJ, you know, it just didn't probably go the way he hoped it would. I always believed AJ was talented to be a, a starter. And, and again, I, I posted something on Twitter about a week ago after that first comeback win, um, or maybe it was after the second one. But, um, you know, that playoff game in Cincinnati back in 2016, where he led, he led them down, hit AJ Green with a, a touchdown with under two minutes. Um, they had that game won after like whatever it was, three or four straight years of Andy Dalton losing playoff games in Cincinnati. I really felt like had the Bengals held on to that game, AJ would have been the starter moving forward in Cincinnati. And I, that, that doesn't come from anyone with the, with the Bengals club. That's just, that's just me knowing what kind of pressure that fan base would have put on the, on the organization had AJ won a playoff game for that team. Cause they were, that fan base had been down on Andy Dalton um, after that, after that third or fourth loss. So, yeah, it's, it was it's just kind of tough to see how it went for AJ. I always thought he could be a quality NFL starter. So who knows? I mean, he's getting up there in age right now. But this is uh, it's been it's been fun watching what he's done the last last couple of weeks in the XFL. Are you going to attend the combine? Yeah, I'll be up there for a couple of days. Um, we got some work to do. I don't get a lot of time to get around and uh, and get with get with guys around the NFL during Senior Bowl week. Just too busy. So I'm going up there and. Um, the guy that runs the combine, Jeff Foster, a good friend of mine, he, he gave me a pass to kind of sweet hop and walk around Lucas Oil and, and hit hit up the team suites and just connect with those guys and got some media stuff going on and some meetings with agents. So um, everyone, it's just like Senior Bowl week. Everyone from the NFL is going to be up there. Unfortunately, I don't get to take advantage of that during Senior Bowl week. Um, so I got to go up there and get some work done for a couple of days. Is there any activity involving the players that are going to be there that you feel is that, that, that more – more important than any other, like what would be the top priority if a player goes up there? You know, what what where does he have to win the the other teams over with? With his medical, <laughs> with his, with his, with his with his player physical. So uh, I think people lose sight of the fact why the combine was actually formed. You know, whatever that. Shoots, hits it! Despite a rear contest from Spencer Dinwoody, Trey Young hits the game winner. What a shot. And that's a tough game winner with somebody behind you. 7.52, welcome back in. A little NBA for you. It's the opening kickoff. Hey, we'll take your phone call. 694-1055 is the number. 
want to remind you about my guy Aiden Marks over at Medicare Insurance Advisors. If you're within a year of retiring, if you're new to the area, you need some information. Medicare is a kind of a, a moving target there. There's tons of information out there. If you need somebody that can help you navigate those waters, Aiden Marks of Medicare Insurance Advisors is your guy. He's been in the business 13 years. Independent agent, works with multiple carriers, helped hundreds just like you. Uh, in both Mobile and Baldwin counties. Uh, so if you're confused, tired of nonstop solicitation calls, maybe you need a local agent, man, he can help you with all of that. Go see him. Highway 98 in Daphne, across from Terry Thompson Chevrolet. You can go see him. Better yet, he can meet you anywhere you need him to meet you. Give him a call. 463-0031. 463-0031. Aiden Marks, Medicare Insurance Advisors. By the way, uh, coming up, at 8.30, we're going to talk to Justin Ferguson. Auburn begins spring practice today. Get his take on some of the matchups to look for, some of the important questions coming out of the Auburn camp. It'll be the, the first spring practice under uh, Hugh Freeze. And, of course, as most of you know, Hugh Freeze came over from Liberty. And can you ever remember how many uh, times that Liberty has been in the news relative to Alabama football because Alabama's next football coach is coming from Liberty? How about that? Robert Bala, or is it Bala? Either or, it's going to replace Austin Armstrong and coach linebackers. As you know, Austin was hired away from Southern Miss to become an inside linebacker coach and basically lasted two months before Florida came calling and took him away to be their defensive coordinator. Look at look at Lee, the Auburn hater, trying to spin it now, trying to talk positively about Auburn. That word hate is a very... Not a very nice word to use on the air. I don't. I'm, I don't hate anything or anybody. Hate, 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 hate. By the way, dislike. Since you brought this up last week, I think it's only fair <laughs> to at least update it. Uh, that wide receiver who left Alabama to go to Oregon and then got kicked off the well, dismissed because of charges. Those charges were dropped, and so he's back on Oregon. That would be uh, Treshawn uh, Holden. He's back with Oregon. So they reinstated him. He's reinstated. Charges get dropped. Do you think we'll start seeing more of that? Yes. Where, because it's it's rare that you see a guy get reinstated, right? I mean, it's generally once you're gone, you're gone. We usually, I say we, the general public will usually go after a school who says, well, we're going to let the legal process play out uh, because they won't take action. And then when they do take action and then the, the problem gets resolved, then you're kind of after them for a while. Not you, but you know what I mean. But people right. in general are always after them for, for maybe pulling the trigger too soon. And then. Well, I think I, I can understand like teams. I say teams. Universities are very cautious about this now. In most cases, they don't even take any chances. They, they basically dismiss or suspend. In most cases, Mark, not every case, and then put them back if the charges, if they find out that, you know, and it goes a, a counter to you're innocent until proven guilty, but they don't want to take any chances, bad PR and things like that. I'm still the one that really baffles me, though. And, and again, I just don't know the laws in Louisiana was the wide receiver. And I was talking about this yesterday with somebody who knows something about law. Oh, yeah. Let's got a call. All right. Let's go to the phones. <laughs> we'll just we'll dismiss that. Hey, Anti, welcome to WNSP, sir. Hey, boy, guys, what's up? Good morning. Good morning. All right, Mark, I can't believe you actually said it live on the show, so kudos to you. But Lee, you absolutely are an Auburn hater, and really? I'm going to prove it. Okay? Yeah, prove so, it. Prove it to me. Okay? 
it's okay because you know you, you gotta you gotta spend what you gotta spend, and, and you're a, you're a legend on radio, and I love you to death. Okay, but if y'all have interns, okay, just go pull, have them on a project, just the last two years. Okay, go listen to the questions that you ask any of the Auburn-related folks, Jay Ferg, anybody like that. If it's an Auburn-related person, listen to the questions. Almost every single one, not all. But almost every single one of your questions has a negative slant to it. Really? The the tone of your voice. And then go during the same two years and do the same thing with the Alabama-related folks y'all have to come on and talk about Alabama. Football, baseball, basketball, don't matter. I listen to y'all every morning, and I'm telling you, there is a negative slant when you're asking questions related to Auburn than when you ask questions about Alabama. And when you ask questions about Alabama, you're as giddy as a little schoolgirl. It's okay. We all still love you, but you are an Auburn hater. But we still love you. War Eagle. Thank you, Anti. One of the most asinine statements I've ever heard. You can't say asinine on the air. I just did. You can't tell me I can't use hate and you come out and say asinine. Sorry. I just did. (laughs) There are two people in the app that say he is correct. What do you say, Mark? You're with me all the time. I love everybody. I know. No, I'm talking about, do I hate Auburn? Do you hate Auburn? Yeah. Do you think I do? Do I think... What are you repeating me? Just say yes or no. Well, I'm processing... my client here. We're going to plead the fifth. (laughs) Or drink the fifth? (laughs) Yes. My questions are slanted when I talk to Auburn people. Like who? Bill Cameron? When I talk to Auburn about Bill Cameron? How about when we had Bruce Pearl on? Was I negative with Bruce Pearl? How about with Chad Pruitt, the Auburn assistant? Oh, there's another one that says you're right. There's four people that said they're right, that, okay. that anti I, is I, right. I got uh, Arthur on the line. He may have your back here, Lee. All right, hurry up because we're I running out of time. Hey, Arthur, what do you got? Real quick. All right, what I've got is is that if you notice the four people that are agreeing are also Auburn fans. You're never going to win in this situation with Auburn. The only time Auburn is happy is when they're winning at everything. And unfortunately, all they have this year is gymnastics and equestrian and a, and, 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 and a slight shot at football if Hugh Freeze can get it right, which I doubt. But anyway, Lee, you, you, you're not slanted in any way. Uh, they're just, they're just uh, they're crybabies. That's, they that's just plain and simple. If you're not praising Auburn, you're against Auburn, and that's the way they look at it. By the way, thank, Arthur, you. thank you, Arthur. Huge win for the Auburn equestrian team. They upset number one. <laughs> they upset number one SMU. Who knew SMU? Uh, now you, Lee's getting some support in the app. Mm-hmm. It's a hot debate. We'll I can't continue in hour number three. Anybody would compare me to that statement over Mark. All right, hour number three poll question is: Lee an Auburn hater or a disliker? He doesn't like hate. It's asinine. Stay with us. <laughs> This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, hour number three. Continue with your comments in the app, the big... Hot button uh, topic today, of course, is is Leah Auburn hater. That's that's the one you all want to get your you teeth into. You just won't let go of it, will you? Well, that's what the it's what the people want, Lee. The people, what two people? 
There are tons of people claiming, but you have your. Am you I have, more so than you? Yes. Okay. According to the app, but there are plenty of people that are defending your honor too. Yeah, they said you're you're not an Auburn hater. Of course, I'm not. Anybody who knows anything about me knows I'm not. All right, uh, let's get some headlines here before we get to our next guest because uh, we want to talk some Final Four basketball. Damon Lillard, 71 points for Portland. as uh, He had 13 three-pointers yesterday in the Portland win. Quinn Snyder is the new coach of the Atlanta Hawks. And over the weekend, Ole Miss fired Kermit Davis, so they're looking for a new head coach. Uh, Drew Ar- DeArmond had a pretty good take. Uh, maybe, maybe look at uh, Chris Beard. We have five teams competing in the final four and two represent mcgill tulin uh the boys team will take on buckhorn this coming uh, wednesday at 10 30 and the yellow jackets the women's team they'll play at nine o'clock and carla berry's the head coach she's been there many many times carla welcome to the show i really appreciate it good morning how are you today I'm great. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you here and glad that you're still in it, as you have been eight of the last nine years. What Anything that distinguishes this year's team from others you've taken up there? Is it a different personality of the team, or is it very similar? Uh, there's some uh, similarities. Uh, I would say this team, uh, they have really good chemistry, uh, and that comes from their relationships off the court. Uh, most of them uh, ha- have played together uh, since they were younger, uh, and developed uh, those relationships. And then I, I have uh, two sets of sisters, uh, so that helps a little bit. Uh, and it doesn't always, but uh, these are sisters that actually get along and like each other. <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, your seniors there. Lindsay uh, and Anna Anna Reed, both 1,000-point scorers in their careers, have done a lot for not only uh, this team in this year but for this program. Absolutely. Uh, they are both very capable uh, scorers. Uh, that, uh, you know, and, and when they are both uh, in double digits, uh, I would imagine uh, we're, we're undefeated and, and uh, you know, have a, a good chance of winning uh, when we get that balance from the two of them. And it also helps to have a third score. Uh, and we've gotten production, uh, you know, we're well balanced, uh, but uh, when we, we get uh, good production from Albany or EC or, uh, you know, across the board, uh, then that, uh, 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 you know, because we're a defensive team, and so we're going to, uh, you know, uh, compete and, and hold uh, teams under their average, uh, their, uh, their whatever they're scoring. Uh, but when we score from multiple positions, uh, from multiple people, uh, then that gives us our best chance to win. You know, Lee is a huge fan of the point guard position, and 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 will constantly talk and harp on you got to be able to take care of the ball. There are not many point guards uh, in the state that can handle it quite like Lindsey Cox. Oh, absolutely. I'd bet on Lindsay uh, anytime. You know, the story is um, I saw her when she was about 10 years old. She was watching her oldest sister uh, play a CYO game, and she was on the sideline fooling around with some other kids, and she just had the ball on a string. Yeah. Uh, so I walked over. I wanted to know how old she was and, and, and make, wanted to make sure she was going to play for McGill. Uh, and, uh, but she is just as uh, dynamic as you can get in terms of her change of direction, her speed, her ability to handle the ball uh, against multiple defenders to make good decisions. Uh, so I, I think uh, not only myself, but, but uh, her her teammates, uh, you know, want the ball in her hands uh, as much as possible as well. Uh, but we are capable at multiple positions with, uh, you know, being poised on the pressure, uh, pressure EC. Um, Emily uh, Clay, I should uh, call her nickname is EC. 
uh, has stepped up and done a great job uh, all season long. Uh, Anna McCurran uh, and several of our, our, our players are, um, are capable of hand, handling the ball in pressure situations. Yeah, so with Lindsey handling the ball, I think EC's probably ball handling probably gets uh, overlooked a little bit and her, her ability to knock it down as well. She does a little bit of everything. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things uh, I've been most pleased with uh, her this year, uh, her, how she's changed in the open floor. Uh, she's uh, gotten so much better at attacking the basket, uh, coming off ball screens or just on her own, uh, and that makes us more dynamic offensively. And same thing in transition. You know, obviously uh, she's uh, become a, a three-point shooter, but her ability to get to the paint, uh, you know, opens up and creates offense for not just herself, uh, but for the team as well. Carla Berry, McGill Tulin, women's basketball coach, our guest here on WNSP. So it, what's amazing about uh, Lindsay is, as you know, a, a twin, but I've never seen a pair of twins complement each other so well. She'll, she'll drive the lane and she'll just kick to Lucy, and Lucy will just knock down any three-pointer there is. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Lucy has uh, her shot is as pretty and pure as any kid that I've coached. Uh, just her elevation on that shot and her accuracy over uh, her career. Uh, you know, she's uh, knocked down timely shots. And, uh, you know, the, the best thing, uh, she's been in a, just a little bit of a slump. Uh, and, and I told her that's to her advantage. Uh, shooters don't stay in slumps long. Uh, and when they come out uh, of it, uh, it it's just uh, she'll be raining threes uh, is, is what I keep telling her. So I'm looking for her to knock down some big shots for us uh, in the tournament. How uh, how much easier is life when because Anna Reed she's so good mid-range she's as good a, a, a big person as there is or mid-range from 12 to 16 feet but then when she and Samantha are on the court at the same time man you guys are tough to beat especially inside absolutely uh you know Samantha can knock down the jump shot as well uh, and then one of the things uh that she does for us is her and Anna Reed have played together uh so long so well they complement each other. Uh, Samantha is a really good passer, an unselfish uh, player, uh, and then she has great touch on the ball with, with being able to read uh, how Anna Reed is feeling and where she needs the ball uh, to, to get off a, a good shot. But they complement each other really well, in part because they played together so long. Uh, and they're probably uh, uh, the best of friends uh, on, on the team as well. They're always together always uh, joking around. So just that off-the-court chemistry, again, uh, affects uh, uh, how we play on the court together. Well, uh, there's no good matchup when you get to the Final Four. Everybody's good. But, boy, you you guys are playing a, playing a, a program that knows nothing but winning. Absolutely. Uh, great respect uh, for them. Uh, I, I would assume that respect is mutual. Uh, but you're right. Uh, I've, I've never, uh, you know, in the years that we've gone, we've always had to play a really good team. And we've had some success in, in that tournament. We've been the runner-up uh, three times. So we, we've had some uh, success with uh, knocking off uh, uh, really good teams. And, and, and so we'll be well prepared. We've, we've invested uh, our, our time in, in, in what they do and what they do well and, and how we need to defend those things. Uh, so if we can take the game floor, uh, game plan to the floor and execute it on both ends, uh, we'll have a chance to compete. Absolutely. Your, your counterpart over there at McGill, uh, controversial, Philip Murphy decided he was going to go of all the hotels in Montgomery. He was going to go book rooms at the same place his opponent was sitting at. That's uh, that's that's mind games at, at a whole other level, Carl. Yeah, you know, Philip and I, you know, I, I call him positive Philip, and I'm cautious Carla. Uh, but when it comes to preparation and planning, we do the opposite thing. I'd always do everything in advance. I, I think it's easier to cancel the bus or the hotels, and he waits till he wins. And so that was basically all, all, all that was left. 
Uh, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't, uh, he was either going to have to share rooms with us or, or be at the same hotel with Blunt. So that's about <laughs> how he does it. Yeah. Uh, but on the way back from Montgomery, I, I went ahead and, and confirmed our bus and, and, and let them know that Philip will be needing one as well. Yeah. Yeah. When you, you all are opposite, if you're planning, then yes, Philip is certainly the opposite. Uh, what's it mean for you? <laughs> I know, I know we asked him, we had him on last week. What, what's it mean for you, uh, you guys shared a moment with the boys uh, in Montgomery. You guys took the floor first, won. They were there to watch you guys. You guys stayed and watched them. Y'all got a picture together. What's it mean for both you guys to be going up together and competing in the Final Four? Well, we uh, see ourselves as, as one big family. Uh, Philip has always been supportive of our program and vice versa. Uh, you know, one of the things that amazes me about uh, him is uh, – you know, uh, he's a cheap uh, guy, first of all, but uh, he'll tell Brandy it's date night, uh, and on nights that they're off, he'll come watch us play yeah. and bring the whole family out. But uh, he's <laughs> always been very supportive, uh, and we do the same uh, for them, uh, even so much so that uh, I gave uh, uh, Coach uh, Buck about 15, 20 minutes the other day to go over some offensive things with us. But we, we talk basketball uh, a lot, uh, and then we are also uh, – you know, uh, good friends uh, away from basketball. And then our, our, our players are very similar in that respect uh, with uh, supporting one another. Well, Coach, I think you're 29-5, and five, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, congratulations on an unbelievable year. Uh, best of luck in, in Birmingham. Safe travels, and we look forward to talking again soon. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys. Yep. That's Carla Berry, ladies and gentlemen. McGill Tulin, uh, Yellow Jackets. Her uh, jackets, uh, Hazel Green has won five. Or, yeah, they're won five straight. Five straight state. Remember, they had that. What was it? I don't. They had that long winning streak uh, stopped by Hoover. They had what eighty something, or maybe even more than that. I, some incredible winning streak they had. Hey, I wanted to ask you on the um, locale. So when I look at the uh, matchups and they put next to it NW, are there two courts? They different places they play, or they all play at the same place? Uh, I no. NW. Yeah, it's it's. I was confused by that when they put like so. Let's that say, might be the region that they're coming from. Okay, All that right. might be the northwest. Right. But are there, they play it? Is it the <clears throat> Bill Harris Auditorium or am I thinking? Well, I think they're in Legacy Arena, aren't they? I don't know. That's what I'm asking you because I'm going up. I you're should going know. up. You should know more uh, than me. I mean, last year it was Legacy. I think it's the Legacy at the BJCC. Okay. BJCC. All right, so they all play at the same place then. Yeah, as far right. as yeah. Um, it's a beautiful facility, by the way. Compared to what you saw last week? <laughs> don't like, even get me started. <laughs> I do want to get you started. <laughs> that, every, anybody down there, anybody, you know, the um, Garrett Coliseum is a complete and total dump. dump. That's what you said. I, you're quoting you last week. There's no, there's no. But I've heard some high school coaches say pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Uh, it's not a shooter's gym at all because uh, it's not a gym. Uh, but it's but it's uh you've uh, I've said enough. It's all good. Uh so yeah, um four was it four schools have both the boys and the girls going up? It's either four or five schools. Uh McGill's one of them. St. Luke's boys are going up. Uh and then of course we have Foley and who else? UMS UMS girls, of course, McGill boys. So Today at 4.30, St. Luke's, the boys' team, will take on Mars Hill Bible. Yeah. So, like I said, when you get to this point, there's no easy matchup. They're all good. 
I mean, the McGill boys were going to have to play Penson Valley. Good news. They lost. Uh, they were undefeated in rank number one. Bad news is we play the team that that beat the undefeated. You know what I mean? Like, it's always something. Like They got a 6'6 freshman who's just incredible. So, good luck to all our teams going up. Scoreboard traffic and weather are next. Uh, we'll do the Miller Lite Golf Report. Justin Ferguson will be along. Talk Auburn. We'll see if... Lee can somehow be sweet about Auburn. Not so nasty about him. You hate her. Yeah, how do you ask in a tone to Justin, how about practice today? I think that's, should I sweeten it up a little bit? No, I think I think everybody's going to be listening very intently on how, how you I approach these question. topics. Yeah. And Certainly a up. very negative tone, like, hey, what are you looking for in practice today? All right. <laughs> Stay with us. Plenty left here on a Monday edition. Hey, this is Buckus Blakes from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in Mobile. here on a Monday. It's the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee. So we'll talk to John Ricchetti now with the Miller Lite Golf Report. And Johnny, uh, they bring back a, a golfer who hadn't won in quite some time and uh, haven't heard that name around. Why don't you pick it up from there? Well, you're exactly right. His name is Chris Kirk. Uh, I think it's eight years since he's won and, uh, you know, took some time off for uh, personal reasons on the PGA Tour, but, it's you know, it's come back and Got on a medical exemption and uh, so forth, but uh, he got it done yesterday at the Honda Classic in an event that did not be, feature any player ranked in the top 20 in the world. But uh, Chris Kirk won in a playoff over Cole yesterday, even though on the 72nd hole he did go for the green with a one-shot lead, hit it in the water, uh, ended up making bogey, and uh, ended up uh, going into a playoff. But uh, that costly mistake on the 72nd hole did not cost uh, Chris Kirk, as he picks up his fourth PGA Tour victory in over eight years. So congratulations to Chris Kirk and also uh, Robbie Shelton. A solid event after he opened up with a 73. We talked about it on Friday, saying that Robbie's going to have to have a good weekend. Came out the next day and played some great golf and ended up getting a tie for 21st in that event at the Honda Classic. So uh, he continues to have uh, a really good season on the PGA Tour. Also, uh, Charles Howell III wins in, on the Live Tour down in Mexico uh, this weekend, uh, and it's the first time that Charles Howell III has uh, been in the winner's circle also in a while. So a lot going on in the world of golf. The PGA Tour moves to the API, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, which will be back. All the big names will be back. I understand that 17 of the top 20-ranked players in the world will be in the field this week at the Arnold Palmer Invitation. And back to the Honda Classic. Uh, yesterday marks the last time that for over 45 years that the Honda Corporation sponsored that event. Uh, they have terminated their contract with the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour will fill that spot with a new sponsor in 2024, which I understand it will become an elevated event. So that being said, we'll get some more marquee names in the field. We'll be on the air tonight live at 6 o'clock from Terry Thompson Chevrolet the complete recap of the world of golf. Thanks, John. We appreciate it.
All right. Have a great week, guys. Okay, so in the app, Lee doesn't have anything to do with praising Auburn. It's the approach. Mark, a bammer, is way more impartial than Lee. Okay, fine. <laughs> you want to buy into that? Go ahead. Who cares? I mean, uh, that sounds pretty accurate to me. My tone. It sounds accurate to you? Uh, I mean, uh, who yeah. am I to judge? Yeah, right. I last think maybe year. it's time we uh, launch an investigation. Yeah, last year. Let's let's rag on Auburn because they didn't do well in the NCAA tournament. Mm, who was that? Oh, it wasn't me. How they do last year? Not very well. Look at you ragging on them again. It was a yeah. year ago, and you're already you're bringing it up. See, this is the problem, Lee. I'm just trying to help. What are you like a psychiatrist or something? No. A consultant here? No, no. You're no. trying to help. You escalate this. You make what? it worse. You me? actually you're not going to enable. You just make it worse. What? Yep. You I'm just trying add, to help. You just add you just add like fuel to the fire just to keep the ashes going. I don't. We got a another Lee defender on the line. See? See? Okay. Go ahead, caller. Please defend Lee. First of all, Carla Berry is a uh, McGill legend, um, won three state championships in volleyball, one in basketball, and went undefeated in 88. But Lee, I mean, Lee, if I'm not mistaken, sent his money and his child to Auburn. Very um, true. He's an old-school sportscaster. Yep. Who, those guys don't divulge their their alliances. Um, you know, I think these Auburn people are just uh, – you know, they, they they just get a little uh, uneasy at times and can't Nick, handle themselves. Nick, take his but, name. Uh, he, he gets a Chick-fil-A. He's the smartest person to call today. That's right. See, you wouldn't divulge. That doesn't mean you don't hate him. It's just that you won't tell us that exactly. you hate him. Exactly. See? And now you're bribing callers. Yep. Thank you for the call. Justin Ferguson is next. We're going to let Lee handle this interview. Let's see if we can get the tone right. The opening kickoff. Nope. Welcome in. The uh, opening kickoff continues here on this Monday. Mark and Lee. And Justin Ferguson with the Auburn Observer. Justin, it's great to have you back with us. A lot going on on the Auburn campus these days. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are y'all? Wonderful. Before we get to football, because that's going to be something we'll be following through the spring, Hugh Freeze's first spring practice with Auburn. I want to get your take on the basketball team and where you think they stand right now in regards to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they they need to to win at least one of these last two games, I think, in the regular season against Alabama or Tennessee. Obviously, the Tennessee one at home would be probably the more gettable one compared to the one at Alabama. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this Auburn team, you know, up until Saturday, they had done a good job of really not getting blown out in games. They had had a tough strength of schedule. The metrics really liked them compared to a lot of bubble teams, but losing them in the fashion they did against Kentucky, the hit they took in the net rankings, uh, the way they stand right now is, is just basically if you run the numbers, if Auburn does not win these, either of these next two games, they're probably going to have to get hot in Nashville at the SEC tournament. 
in order to make it on Selection Sunday. So it's a pretty big week for Auburn basketball. Um, they have they have struggled here down the stretch, uh, but they still have an opportunity to get into the tournament. Uh, you know, all they got to do is uh, you know take one of these next two games, and like I said, probably looking at more likely um, you know having a chance to win at home against Tennessee than you do against Alabama and Coleman. Now let's see. I have to word this in the most nicest way I can possibly <laughs> do it. What so far, Justin, do you take away from this Auburn basketball season to this point? Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is a, this is going to be a season that is going to be defined as what if more than likely. Um, Auburn lost a lot of close games this season. Um, you know, not being able to finish some of these games down the stretch, you look at a number of close losses that could have I mean, you get a couple of those, um, whether it's, you know, the Tennessee game, the West Virginia game, uh, Texas A&M, um, you get a couple of those and you're fine and, and in the NCAA tournament with, with no real, you know, issues here. I think the problem with Auburn, though, this year is that in a league where, you know, there's a lot of talent and a lot of depth, uh, Auburn has, you know, really, you know, this is a season where you lose two elite freshmen or you one elite freshman and one great transfer and, and Walker Kessler. And, you know, you, you've done an all okay job of replacing their production as much as you can with Jalen Williams and Janai Broom. However, the experience you brought back in the backcourt hadn't really taken the step forward that you thought that you, you, that you might get. Um, and so, you know, in a game like Kentucky on Saturday, it kind of gets exposed when you look at the number of five stars that Kentucky has, and, you know, elite players coming back that they did. Uh, and it was just a pr- really bad matchup for Auburn. Um, so, you know, and, and the other thing, the big what if this year is going to be the fact that your two best, your two true freshmen, your two highly rated true freshmen, a five star and a really high four star, haven't been able to be in the rotation. Chance Westry dealing with an injury for most of the season really took a lot out of him in the offseason. And then, of course, uh, Yohan Treor uh, just not adjusting, not making that transition to a new position at the college level uh, as quickly as maybe some people would have hoped. So it's a big what if because you look around at some really good teams like Alabama and others uh, across the SEC and you see you know, their new players clicking, uh, the, the roster reset they did in the offseason really working out for them. For Auburn, it's the injuries and the close losses have really kind of piled up on them this year, and you kind of are going to have to look back and say, you know, what if a couple of things are different for this team? But like I said, you know, they still have a chance to make the tournament, and they got to they got to buckle down and make the most of it. Justin Ferguson joining us with the Auburn Observer. So let's talk about spring football. What are some of the priorities as you see it, some of the, the keys to spring and, and what Hugh Freeze hopes to accomplish in the next uh, month or so? I think you got to start with the quarterback position. I don't think you're going to sit here and say this guy's definitely our starter at the end of spring practice, but you freeze has made it clear that they want by the end of spring to kind of know where they stand at the quarterback position. And if they need to go into the transfer portal in May and what they need to get in the transfer portal in May. So for a guy like Robbie Ashford, um, who, you know, had really good running numbers last year, he, you know, played through injury, had a really, you know, really stepped up in a tough situation for Auburn last season. He also was the least efficient and least accurate quarterback in the FBS last year. Um, so can you get some improvement out of him in a system that I think is going to fit him better? You've also got Holden Garner, uh, the redshirt freshman, TJ Finley's back on the roster as well. So, I mean, you're going to be able to see um, some guys compete. And I think they just want to, you know, maybe not have the quote-unquote starter lockdown by the end of spring. But I think they want to look and say, okay, 
here's where we stand about our quarterbacks. Do we think we can win with these guys, or do we think we need something else? Do we need to move, you know, in the direction where you bring someone else in? Um, so that's a big key. Other one is figuring out the other key to me is figuring out what you do on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Uh, Auburn got a lot of transfers uh, on offensive line and defensive line. Um, they're having to revamp both uh, both lines of scrimmage in these new systems with these new players and these new coaches, and that's where you win or lose, basically, in the SEC is at the line of scrimmage. Auburn last season was not very good up front on either side of the ball. You know, outside of, you know, I think on defense you had some really good edge rushers. But, you know, this was a team that really, really struggled to slow down the run, really struggled to get anything going consistently on offense. And so what does this new, what do these new guys, what all these new guys bring to the table for Auburn? Can they give them a shot in the arm that they need? Um, Because, you know, there's a lot of puzzle pieces that we're starting to kind of sort out here for Auburn football in terms of the players and where they play and how they fit in these systems. And I think spring football is going to be big just to see, hey, how is it going to start all coming together? And at the line of scrimmage, that's where Auburn's got to make their biggest jump. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here and ask Lee a question. Do you think, Lee, do you think uh, Auburn can win with the one of those three quarterbacks right now? Could they? Can they win next year? They win a few games with them, for oh, sure. Yeah, so, so they win some games. A few, just yeah. a few. How many do you? Justin, how many games can they win next year with these quarterbacks? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, it all, it all kind of hinges on, like, like, say if they have Robbie Ashford, say he's the quarterback, or you, you turn to a guy like Holden Garner as a freshman, or a redshirt freshman, it's like, how accurate are you going to be through the year? Because you can definitely, you know, build a really good running game around around Ashford. you got to take that step forward. And it would have to be a really big step. You know, Auburn's got, a, Auburn's got an easy non-conference schedule next year. And they got a couple of favorable home games, you know, and, and some of the ways they drew up in the SEC. But, yeah, I mean, like, you know, unless something drastically changes with their quarterback position in terms of improvement or adding more talent, I mean, you may be able to get to six wins, but it's it's, it's just going to be tough without seeing just some major improvement, you know, from that quarterback room. Hey, let me ask you, will things change for the media as far as attending practice now? I mean, will you, will you get to see more of it, or, you, or are they going to still keep it off limits? I will say the one thing, the one like overly positive thing I can say about the Brian Harson era is that we got to see a good bit of practice. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that continues here this first week. You know, we're going to have access with with players and, and coaches and, and freeze with interviews, and also today's first day of spring, we'll be able to watch uh, some of practice today, which is which is very helpful. Um, so we'll we'll see how it all kind of shakes out in the spring. I will say that was one thing. Uh, that Harson did uh, get right in terms of, you know, from our perspective, just opening things up and letting more information kind of come out uh, for, you know, the fans and, 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 and for everybody to kind of take in. So we'll see if Freeze kind of sticks to the same same script. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll check it out later today and see uh, just kind of what, uh, what, what all this might look like. Do you think Auburn goes into the transfer portal for quarterback in May? I would be surprised if they didn't um, because, you know, I, I, it's not saying that, like, they'll have to go get a day one starter out of the portal. But I would be surprised if we get to the end of, you know, the spring semester and we get into the summer and all three of those quarterbacks Auburn has are still here uh, just because I just think, you know, when you, when you have three quarterbacks that were brought in by a different staff and you get to the end of spring, there's probably going to be a guy looking around saying, hey, I'm third on the list. And they're, you know, they've got another freshman quarterback coming in that this staff recruited, and there's another one coming in the 2024 class. So you might want to, you know, peel out at that point 
and hit the portal. So uh, who it is and what it would look like. But I would be very surprised if Auburn didn't get a quarterback in the portal here in May. The only problem is we don't know what type of quarterback and who it's going to be in the portal. So it's kind of a it's kind of a wait and see kind of thing with them. Who's the top returning receiver in your opinion? Uh, Javarius Johnson is, is the top one with the numbers right now. And he is, um, you know, he came off of a season where when he got the ball in his hands, he was pretty effective. He had that really good touchdown catch uh, from Ashford in the, in the Iron Bowl. Um, he's, he's their best deep threat. He has been for the last few years. Really good slot receiver um, who, who's a good route runner. This guy's experienced and probably the most polished at the position. Um, between him and Coy Moore, I mean, they have their top two receivers coming back. The problem was Auburn didn't throw the ball very well last season. Uh, so it's not a ton of returning production. But I think Javarius Johnson, just his versatility, uh, his speed, I think is going to really help him in an offense that's going to be designed to spread things out, stretch the field, win some one-on-one opportunities. Um, but yeah, Auburn's going to need other guys to step up for sure, especially bigger guys. I mean, most of their returning receivers with experience are a little on the smaller end. Uh, and we know kind of in Philip Montgomery and he freezes past, they like having bigger outside receivers. So maybe some of these bigger bodies on the team like Camden Brown and Landon King, Nick Mardner, who they got from Cincinnati, who's, who's 6'5". Um, you know, they, they need guys like that to step up, I think, to really help this offense take the next step. Justin, great stuff. Hey, before we let you go, though, how would you grade Lee's ability to interview on Auburn? There's been some uh, some feedback on both ends of the uh, – on both ends of the spectrum here about whether he's an Auburn hater or not. It's kind of our unofficial poll question of the day. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that when I, when I got called in. So, uh, you know what? I think, I think it was fantastic. And uh, honestly, I mean, I've, I've I've been on this show for several years now and I, I've had no issues. So I think that people need to back off Lee. He's not a hater. No. And that that's all fake news, Justin, but if it, you know, if it, <laughs> if it uh, ignites the show, that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that at all, but uh, I'm uh, very much rooting for Auburn and for you to be back with us very soon. <laughs> so wait a minute, Justin. So you say six wins. What do you say, Mark? At the current current quarterbacks. With the current quarterbacks? Yeah. Oh, at least eight. <laughs> You're such a liar. Hey, uh, <laughs> you are such a I can see it right through you. How about you, Nick? What do you say? Oh, We're going he... undefeated, baby. Let's yeah. go. All right, there you go. Hey Justin, uh, we appreciate Good. it, man, as always. How can uh, how can people continue to follow your coverage as uh, Auburn starts spring football? Yeah, ArtObserver.com, check it out. We're running a special here during spring practices. You can get a whole year of the Observer for just 40 bucks. That's 33% off our usual time. So this is the perfect time to sign up between the end of basketball season and the start of spring ball. We're going to have a ton of stuff coming. Yeah. Uh, we'll have uh, practice observations posted later in the day, emailed out to everybody who subscribes. So check it out, ArtObserver.com. And like I said, it's never been a better time to pick it up because we've got a ton of stuff on the way hey man thank you so much for the time uh, it's a busy time of year for you so we're looking forward to reading it all thanks justin i appreciate it thanks y'all yep. you know, before the um well actually as the auburn basketball season got started and i don't know i mean i told those outside the station that auburn is going to have problems shooting the basketball now, is that being a hater or a, a negative being Nancy accurate? over here? Or uh, right? Am I right being accurate? The line. <laughs> or I'm, am I being accurate? Because anybody who has watched mm-hmm. these games come right down to the wire. The difference this year, last year, of course, you don't have a Jabari Smith to go to, or you didn't have the inside feed and.
Ladies and gentlemen, it's 8.51. And before we get out of here, uh, Nick did do something over the weekend. I'm curious to get his take. Uh, you joked about it, Lee, earlier to me off the air. But one Nick Triple G did go indeed pay money to see Cocaine Bear. You're kidding. He did? Nope. How was it? It was uh, 2.5 out of 5 stars. Okay. Now to give give me a little uh, perspective here. What I mean, what else have you recently seen to give me an idea of where that? I, I mean, saw Ant Man, the newest one. Yeah, I gave it a two point five out of five as well. I think I wanted to clarify one thing though. Cocaine Bear is actually based on a true story. I don't know it if is. people realize it. People might think it's just a joke and you know making up the stuff. It's actually based on a true story. A bear yeah, so did there, swallow there a was... bunch of cocaine. There was cocaine lost in the forests around Knoxville, Tennessee. Sure. And there was a bear who ingested that cocaine. Now, I don't think in real life that the bear went on a murderous rampage like right. he does in the or she, sorry, she does in the movie. But um the bear died in real the real bear that based on the bear died. This one as you pointed out well, I don't, I don't want to spoil no, don't. the ending okay. of the movie right. if the bear lives or dies, Okay, but a lot of other people do. So um, basically, the, um, the accurate portrayal is that there is a bear in Tennessee that ingests cocaine, but after that, that's where accuracy tends to, to fall off the rails a little bit. Hollywood changed the ending. Yeah. I don't know what the ending is on this one, but this all started, the real story is, Nick, tell me, it was like some airplane had dropped some cocaine? It, right. it came, okay. And the, the, this bear came upon it and started swallowing Tennessee the was on a recruiting uh, yeah, right. recruiting trip and dropped some stuff from the— <laughs> Right. Okay. Yeah, there you go. That's it. All right. Does the bear have a name? Cocaine bear is what they call her. Okay. All right. Worth um, going to see? Was it the worth— The story, there was no story. <laughs> at all it was really just like just there's a killer a bear bear on the rampage but man that bear gets creative with the way it it, it works to get uh its next hit of cocaine Were you I'll say that oh so it, it's it needs a hit is that yeah, what it like is? he it's like, like starts to like kind of lose it and then like he'll smell it and like re like energize you see who directed it uh yeah uh elizabeth banks elizabeth yeah. banks actress yeah yeah, how about that? And this was also Ray Liotta's last film ever. Very true. How do you go from Goodfellas to Cocaine Bear? <laughs> you take what you can get. Yeah. Field of Dreams. I mean, his resume, Field of Dreams, and Goodfellas, Bear. and Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. But uh, I, I would say wait till it goes on streaming. If yeah, you're it's probably a pretty good call. Uh, same with Ant Man. Okay, look, wait a minute though. Before we before we switch gears, can you tell me did they open it up for a potential sequel to Cocaine Bear? I mean, were there like little cubs hiding in a in a cave at the end or something? There were cocaine cubs. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> there definitely were. Yeah. Um, looking for their next fix. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't imagine they would make a sequel, but maybe they could. Maybe an origin story? Well, the origin is that the there No, there's always an origin to the origin. Uh well maybe, I don't know. Okay. But uh Yeah, I'd skip it. 
And, but definitely skip Ant-Man. I, I just saw it, and I already forgot I did. Did you take someone to see Cocaine Bear? Is it a uh, date movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did uh, have a, uh, someone accompany me to, to see Cocaine Bear. Mm. Okay. Yeah. When I first saw this, I guess it was a trailer a while back. I thought it was just a gimmick or a joke, but then when I found out it's based on a real story, it, it piqued my interest. Somebody yeah, I, wants to know if it's better than Sharknado. Way better than Sharknado. It it's if you like Sharknado, you'll love Cocaine Bear. Like it's really just Jaws, but instead of a shark that wants to just eat humans for no reason on a beach, yeah. Instead, it takes place in a national forest in Tennessee, and instead of a shark, it's a bear. Wait, Carrie Russell's cocaine. in Cocaine Bear? Yes. Huh? Carrie Russell is in it. All right, I may have to rethink this whole cocaine bear yeah. thing. I think I might have to go check it out now. I mean, it's not like they just found D and C actors and actresses. I mean, well, Liotta based on the, Russell. the title of the movie, I would suggest they did, but maybe not. All right. I'll have to. I, I mean, this movie could launch Elizabeth Banks' career as a top-notch director. Yeah, I think she's probably already reached that status. But if anything, it might have the reverse effect on her. Uh, what do you got cooking for tomorrow, Mr. Shervanian? Mr. Anti-Auburn? Uh, let's see. Travis Ryer will talk some of Alabama course. with us. Of course he will. But we could ask him about Auburn. No, I'm just saying, yeah, get an Alabama guy. Why don't you, Auburn hater? I often wondered what it was like to work with Eddie Haskell, and now I know. <laughs> uh, Jerry Palm, uh, he'll be with us. Oh, you know who I have on? I was thinking, this is good. This is a good one. Have you watched any of the XFL? Yeah. Okay. Have you noticed when they go to the, the referee box, Dean Blandino? Okay, I haven't reckoned. I mean, oh, he's going to be on. Oh, okay, nice. Well, you could have said Dean Blandino. That would well, cool. but he's become so much a part of it because anytime there's a question, officiating, and of course he's still connected to the NFL. So all these times you ask, "What's a catch?" and all that, he's the guy. Very cool. He'll be on with us uh, tomorrow. Oh, and Richie Riley tomorrow. Now they they compete. They open up Thursday, so we're going to have him on tomorrow. They open up Thursday in Pensacola in the Sunbelt Conference basketball tournament. So he's going to come aboard tomorrow. Uh, I'm actually watching the preview in silent of Cocaine Bear. The uh, the jump into the back of the ambulance was pretty athletic. I got to say, by the Cocaine Bear, that was entertaining. I I just had an, a caller off air. Tell me that he gives Cocaine Bear an F minus. An F minus. Saw it over the weekend. <laughs> an F minus. And and they saw the movie. I mean, yeah. All yes. right. I mean, there's really there's nothing worse than actually paying for a movie and walking out of the theater going, that was an F minus. But let me say this: What do you expect when you see a movie Cocaine Bear? What are you expecting? A bear on cocaine. Right. So what I mean, it's they like delivered on that front. Right. Exactly. So what it's not like you're going to see, you know, an Academy Award or a SAG Award winner. What, what do you, it's, it's an entertaining movie, right? Or is okay. it? Yeah. So well, you were entertained. Whole question. What animal would you like to see on cocaine in, in an upcoming film? So have you seen Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey? <laughs> No, but I heard that was horrible. <laughs> I heard that was like the worst movie of the year. Well, I think Mr. F-Minus, who just called in, needs to go check it out and let us know. Yeah, maybe. 
All right, that does it for another edition of the opening kickoff. Appreciate you guys being a part of it. We're back at it tomorrow at 6 a.m. Until then, see ya!